You're good. I'm good? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to clap one more time. Okay. Okay. We're thrilled. <laughs> we are so thrilled because this is our seventh episode of Thrilled. And we're covering seven. Seven. Yes, we are. And if you didn't know what Thrilled podcast is, we take you through the 90s and early 2000s thrillers, pop culture from the year that our Thriller of the Week premiered, and movie trivia from our film of choice, which is seven for our seventh episode. I am so episode. excited. Yes, I love that we were going to do this episode for our sixth. And then we recognized that if we just waited one more episode, we could have it be really meaningful and have our seventh episode. We had to. Today when I was checking in, I think I just, we were checking in on like when we were going to record and stuff. I had seven notifications. No. And seven emails. (gasps) And I was like, oh my God, this is a sign. Wow. Isn't that weird? It is kind of weird. That is very, um, why can I, serendipitous? Yeah. Is that the word I'm looking for? I think so. And we both watched it. Last night, you just finished watching some of it today, so it's very, very top of mind for us, and neither of us could sleep last night, because yeah. it is, it's not that it's, like, scary, scary, but it, it's I mean, so dark. I saw this movie somehow in college, I think, with an ex-boyfriend, and I don't know if I was tired or if I was, like, not in a good space, but I barely remember like being invested in this movie which Mm -hmm. seems crazy to me now like watching it now I'm like how could I have missed anything like this is so intense and dramatic and all I remember are like the first and last scenes and that's it nothing in between so yeah it's not I mean it is scary it's almost like more terrifying than a horror movie because it feels so like this could happen and there's like these really well done psychological elements that kind of get you feeling. And then the setting is so good. Yeah. So it, I can't mm-hmm. wait to talk about it. I'm yeah. so excited. And I saw this when I was 13 for the first time. Oh my goodness. Which is way too young. We bribed someone at Blockbuster, which I don't know. I can't remember the specifics of how we used to do this, but I know we would go to Blockbuster, know that we couldn't rent our rated movies because we didn't have an ID that right. we were of age. So we would go with the intention of like finding our target and then... Like we would first just ask them, like, will you rent this movie for us? And usually they'd say no. And we'd be like, we'll give you $10, which why were we, we were making deals. I can't believe you were doing blockbuster bribes. We were. And then someone eventually, some, you know, person that we probably shouldn't have been speaking to would be like, okay, we probably got ourselves in very dangerous situations (laughs) by doing this, but we needed to see these movies. And so we rented seven and then I remember I got home and I wasn't, I didn't tell my mom I was going out. So we walked to Blockbuster, which was in the Tops Plaza in, in Buffalo next okay. to a Dollar Tree. Got candy at Dollar Tree. It was like a perfect yep. setup. Mm-hmm. Got home, realized I didn't tell my mom. And we took too long because we were trying to wait to get someone to rent it for us. And she was freaking out. And so she was like, your friends have to go home. So we couldn't even watch it. But then, you know, you can get a movie for like a week. Yeah. So we had to wait till the next weekend. Oh, my God. And you just like had it, but you had to wait. Yeah. And I couldn't tell my mom like, oh, we were (laughs) trying to rent a movie. Bribing. (laughs) Yeah. Bribing people. So anyway, I remember seeing it and being so scared, but not understanding anything. Like I did not understand the complexities. and But still the imagery in itself yes. is just so terrifying. I remembered a lot of things incorrectly because I watched it again and again. I would I used to rate this as one of my favorite movies, but watching it this most recent time, I was like, I don't know. Like, This isn't a movie I want to watch often. 
but I do really like it. And I, I reflect back on it as like, that's so well done. So I think it still is, but I just, I watch it like twice a year. I watch it around, uh, Halloween and then, so you do watch it every year. Yeah. So that's I guess still, that's a favorite still movie. Have it be a favorite it's movie. just not one I like go to. It's like, yeah. I have to be in the mood. Well, there's like your comfort movies. It's not a comfort movie. And it's not a comfort movie. But, it but it's still a favorite because you're like, this is so good. And I recognize how good yeah. it is. And I like the experience of watching it every once in a while. Exactly. Well, we've basically gotten into seven, but we're going to pause really quick to yes. do some trivia from 1995, which is the year that seven premiered. Tell me about 1995. I will. So the top songs were One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men. And then Coolio's Gangsta Paradise. So I two, loved Coolio's Gangsta Paradise. Yeah, these Paradise. are both great songs. Love that they were both top songs. Yeah. And then TLC's Waterfalls won MTV's Video Music Award for the video of the year. I don't remember the video. I don't remember the video either. Amazing and song. I'm really trying hard not to sing the song. I I think, um, <laughs> but we're going to have to watch that video. It seems like it would be an iconic one. Like, I'm just They're probably under a waterfall. Yeah. In cute little clothes. They took it really literally. Yeah. I'm just feeling it. I can't imagine why then that would win. One of our listeners can correct us if this is wrong. Yeah, interpretation we'll, of we'll, we'll try to watch it. Um, but it, it it was apparently great, and it won best video of the year. And then the Macarena went viral. Um, it's by the Latin band Los Del Rio. I've never known that the Macarena had. Of course, it does. Like, of course, it has a band that. No, it, it's it, just to like me, a, it was just like an overplayed song that you're honestly, trying so I was hard over. not to sing it right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. <laughs> Honestly, the, I could go without the Macarena. Like, I feel like I could I could not sing that one. But yeah. Waterfalls and Gangster's Paradise, I'm having a harder time with. Okay, that's totally fair. And then in more depressing music news, Selena died at 23. She was murdered by her former agent, Yikes. which is it's so tragic. I've consumed a lot of Selena content. Have you? Well. I was just going to say, I haven't done enough. Like, I know the high-level details, but I, I probably it's should. It's so frustrating. There's she like was, a movie with her name, right? That's yeah. like all about it. Okay. It's great. And there, there is a lot of, I mean, I don't know if I should say it's great. Like, it's it feels predatory a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, maybe not that specific movie, but just how much is made around, like, sensationalizing yeah. deaths. But, I mean, this was sensational. I mean, she was an icon. It was, yeah, her life was cut way too short and she was so so young so young so talented um not that she should ever be murdered at any age not her life being cut short but anyway just super super sad I didn't know that that happened in 1995 either and then the trial of OJ Simpson who was accused and definitely killed his ex-wife Nicole Brown was televised and it was theorized to be the genesis of our reality tv obsession oh my god that's a big one I didn't realize it was televised either because the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial is happening right now and it's televised and that just feels so insane that we're watching this i cannot imagine watching the oj trial that's yeah it's so weird to think that like society like we all like get our kicks Mm -hmm. from watching people in stressful situations have to like battle it out legally but like this is yeah i mean we were just talking about the staircase the other day too and oh god the hbo dramatization is so good i just watched the first episode isn't it like, so good oh my god I am it's crazy good how good is Colin, Colin Firth is amazing how is he doing he, Michael Peterson that he's well he's doing I mean he doesn't I would never have pegged him for that role nope not at all didn't I think it made thinking, sense the person that looks like him in my mind is um I don't even know the actor's name but Perry Dr. Cox from Scrubs do you know who no oh, okay I feel like he actually is in this movie he's uh what? one of the SWAT team members oh in my this gosh movie, so I bring that up the but, guy in the chopper Yes, the one who's like okay, he's yes, like yes, shaped. Yes. Ha- then I know who that head. is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he's Doctor Cox in. Okay, Scrubs. then duh. Yes, he does look like him. Yes, he totally does. And he has like curly hair. Yeah, and, stuff. and his eyes. Yes, 
It's perfect. Except oh I don't know if I could imagine him being that type of character. Hmm. So I wish I could take Colin Firth's accent and then this guy's look. He'd be a perfect wow. Michael Peterson. You're right. I've been trying to think of an actor who would look more like him and I was coming up short, but he would totally. But Colin Firth is killing that accent. Yeah. Like the cadence of his voice is so weird. Yep. And perfect. It's kind of froggy. It's like that's I think that's my fiance was saying like it is froggy. Robert Durson him like the he, oh yeah he they feels, share a vocal yeah it's similarity. This, it's this weird weird cadence that it's it just makes them they're already so strange and it makes them yeah it's almost strange. like they have something like in stuck their throat. in their throat. It's froggy. Yeah. But okay. Well, I truly could talk about Michael Peterson. Oh my god, I love the staircase so the much. Staircase for as we're saying, oh my god, just as we're like you know, trying to critique that as a society. I know. Yes, of course. This is the exact issue though. It's like we all, and the media knows we'll go for it. So, and we do. And I think it does teach you something about society, but I don't know how much we really need that in our lives. So it sounds like this was the beginning of that. Thank you so much, OJ Simpson, for getting us into this hell. (laughs) What is it? The the gloves don't fit, so you have to acquit? I'm I'm butchering that that completely. Yeah, because he had uh, the gloves that were found at the scene of the crime didn't fit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. I can't remember what the exact. I haven't watched the retelling, like the American crime story. Oh, the story. Cuba Gooding Jr. one? This is, is that the one with David Schimmer, Schwimmer? Yep. I haven't watched it. Oh, you should watch that. Okay. Oh, I should. I can't so imagine good. him as anyone but Ross, but no, I'm, it's I'm really good it. okay. as Robert Kardashian. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's well done. Okay. This is a fun one. Well, I don't know, but while visiting Washington, D.C., Russian President Boris Yeltsin was found on Pennsylvania Avenue drunk in his underwear and trying to hail oh a cab gosh. to order a pizza. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine like a politician. I mean, right? not even a politician, like a president, the Russian president. Imagine was, like engaging in a very American activity, but like drunk in his underwear. Yeah. Him and Bill Clinton had a very weird relationship. Okay. Um, they were like yeah. oddly friendly. Okay. And I don't know, maybe like that's Putin not and Trump. Trump. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, you're right. Yes. We always have a very weird relationship with our Russian counterparts. True. Yeah. But this is just like, what? How? Oh my God. I would love to be the secret service that responded to that. Of just, yeah, this Russian this guy's, president. He's, trying, he's drunk trying to hail in his underwear, his pants on. He really wanted a pizza. He wanted pizza. And then I think Clinton famously responded like, he did get that pizza. He didn't end up getting it. Oh my gosh. Well, of course he did. Like what was going on? Wow. Uh, That's a good one. Um, ER, Seinfeld and Friends were the most popular TV shows. And you know know that I love Friends. You love Friends. I do love Seinfeld. Um, I never watched ER. Me neither. And I watched little bits of Seinfeld, but I don't think I ever got into it like in the time period where maybe I would have been really invested. And instead I got into Friends. My parents watched it. So it was just something that I have seen all the episodes even though I don't specifically remember very much yeah and then big movies included Toy Story Batman Forever and Apollo 13 hmm. Match.com came out in 1995 what? okay I don't know that I would I would have maybe guessed like something something in the early 2000s me too I thought it was later yeah Match.com 1995 okay Starbucks released the Frappuccino and instant oh classic <laughs> wow I feel like wasn't this always a thing I know <laughs> This actually had a year that it was introduced. I guess, yeah. And it was 1995. And Brad Pitt was named the uh, People's Sexiest Man of Man Alive. How man Alive. <laughs> I thought it was Man of the Year, but it's just like, no, Alive. Alive. Um, yep. And he is also the star of our movie, or one of the stars of our movie. He's so good in this. He so is. We'll do our roll call really quickly. This is actually a really short list, too. I didn't include. There's, there's a lot of, like, 
ancillary characters that aren't really in it much, but we have Brad Pitt as Detective David Mills, Morgan Freeman as Detective Lieutenant William Somerset, Gwyneth Paltrow as Tracy Mills. And that's, that's it. That's, that's all we're going to include. There's, yeah. there's a lot of, you know, again, characters throughout this, but yeah. those are our main players. There's a captain and I don't even know what his name is. I can't remember and his name. Honestly, like all you need to know is he's, he's just the captain. captain. So that's how I refer to him. I think um, I, call, I started calling him like Lieutenant. I did not know the proper term. I know. I <laughs> had to a couple times go back to my notes and be like, sometimes I call someone a chief. Yes. I call yeah. Captain, I don't know. They're just like, like the big guy, the big police guy. Yeah. The big guy in charge. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I guess I'm kicking us You're off kicking this us time, off. taking one. us through half the, the first half of the movie. Okay, so there are silence, silence. I'm already <laughs> messing up. Okay, so there are sirens wailing in the city. Um, we're introduced to like this immediate cold open on Morgan Freeman's character, who plays Detective Somerset, and he is in a very, very modest city apartment, um, getting ready for work. We can hear a lot of muffled voices and cars passing about by outside it's very clear this is a busy city and he he lives alone he puts on at least as far as we can tell he puts on a suit and tie in front of the mirror extremely methodically as he's probably done so many times before and then we see he has a bunch of like badge and detective equipment on the desk and he picks it up and he's off to work apparently and there is no wasting time we cut straight into a crime scene like immediately after this and and by the way the credits haven't rolled yet i love a cold open love a cold open they do such a good job literally within the first two minutes we have learned so much so at this point we're only like probably 30 seconds in so we cut straight into a crime scene it's uh, a, a different apartment in the city and there is a dead body on the floor and there's this cop there telling detective somerset morgan freeman that it was a crime of passion and it happened after an argument between a married couple went south so i guess the wife killed the husband um and apparently neighbors heard them arguing and then a shot went off so somerset is looking at uh, this kid's drawing or something on the fridge. And he asks the cop, like, if did the kids see the murder? Or did the kids see the homicide? And the cop is like scoffing at him and is like, what kind of question is that? We're, we're going to be so happy when we can get rid of you. So he says that to Morgan Freeman's character. So already we're like, get it, why are you getting rid of him? Um, and he says, like, you always ask so many questions. Like, did the kids see it? Who gives a fuck? His wife killed him. Anything else that doesn't have anything to do with us. So then Brad Pitt enters a the stairs like he's just in it and this is truly I've made it longer as I always do but this is <laughs> 60 second mark um and he immediately introduces himself to Detective Somerset as Detective David Mills who is new to the city and wow it's you know very efficient so they're outside on the street now it's raining quick little trivia plug about how it is always raining in this movie and there's also this very vague city setting so you might assume that this is New York City I totally did until I got but to the end it's actually and was like, not wait there's like desert and that's the part I'm yes. yeah so yeah. I found this all we can talk more about it at the end when we get into our like movie trivia but I found this like the subreddit that goes through sort of like the weirdness of the setting and how it was so purposefully done to be like the amalgamation of all these different cities. It's so smart. And it's not actually New York City. It's supposed to be like the worst part of every city. I love that. Yeah. I love that it's just a vague city. Because again, I just made, I jumped. I was like, okay, oh, it's New, New York. York City. Yeah. Because he's talking about how, oh, upstate. And I was mm -hmm. like, upstate is totally New York is, is the city that they would move to. And tractor poles and that kind of thing. And um, a subway, like, yeah. you're just making... A, and a pizza joint, so I just totally jumped pizza to it. Pizza joint. But it's very nondescript. It's meant to be... And, like, the police badges and stuff say, like, metro, but they don't say where. And even the newspapers don't say I where. I love that choice. I yeah. really love it. I love it, too. Uh, so the worst part of every city. That's that's what we get from this. Um, and so, yes, it's, 
it's raining and the two detectives are are chatting now and there's like immediate tension between yeah somerset which is um, morgan freeman's character and brad pitt's character detective mills and i love the tension it's like Detective Mills, he's like young, he's eager to get to the precinct, it just gets started right away, and then Somerset is like old and like has been around the block and wants to go to a bar with Mills to get to know him better, and he seems like pretty offended that Mills doesn't want that. Like Mills is like, no, I was thinking let's just go to the precinct and get right down to business. Um, So Somerset tells him like, well, I've been wondering ever since we had that phone call, like, why'd you transfer here? And Mills is extremely, like, evasive with him and kind of cagey and is, like, probably the same reasons as you or the same reasons as someone before you – or the same same reasons before you decided to quit. We now know that Somerset is retiring. um, And he so clearly rubbed the wrong way by Mills, like, very much so. Like, it's in his face. And so they're kind of going back and forth in this, like, very awkward, tense exchange. And then – Mills is like, look, it'd be great if we didn't start out by kicking each other in the balls. You're calling the shots, okay? So it's like basically just sort of this like fragile male ego, um, very clear sort of depiction of these two male characters and kind of like almost like fighting over this um, train. I don't know. I'm going to have to. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we, should, we should caveat that we're recording this after work. Yes, yeah, so I feel so like hard I'm, to do after it work. is. <laughs> okay, so Somerset is like, look, I want you to listen to me. Like, you don't know the ropes around here, basically. And Mills is trying to assert his kind of experience and knowledge by being like, look, I worked at, you know, in the homicide unit in my own city for five years. I wasn't, like, guarding a Taco Bell. So, like, can you do (laughs) me the favor of remembering that? And then Somerset reveals that they have only seven days to work together. And so we love a timeline, over the next and seven a countdown. days, I want you to look and I want you to listen. And yep. when I heard that seven days, I was like, oh my God. Yes. I don't even, I don't, ugh. Seven days, seven We're deadly just, sins. Like this is literally pre-credits. We are cold yes. open. Yes, we are still pre-credits. And I think that exchange is two purposes. One, obviously a lot of exposition, but it's skillfully done. And we learn that like Mills fought to get reassigned from his old precinct and that they have seven days together. And then the other thing is like the contrast between the two characters, how they react to things, like what their dynamic is going to be like. And it just increases that tension for the audience. So at this point, they seem like they truly don't understand each other at all. So we're back to Somerset's apartment and he's in his cute little bed. I love him and his little bed. He's got such a cozy apartment. He does. And there's like an argument ensuing outside that sounds awful. And then he turns on like this ticking metronome metronome by his bed. And it's either to like drown out sound or maybe just have like a stable, steady sound to fall asleep to. And I think that's probably a very character driven Mm -hmm. quality for him. Yeah. Yeah, device. Yes. And it's all very atmospheric with the sound of the rain and the thunder and the tick tick of the metronome. And then boom, it goes straight into the credits. And the credits are so good. And it's like genius transition. Yeah. It's like the tick tick and then Mm -hmm. it just goes straight into the credits. And it's like a different type of theme music than we're used to with 90s films. It's not like the melodic, like beautiful, sad soundtrack. It's like kind of like soft metal, like Mm -hmm. almost like Matrixy vibe to it. Like a little bit electronic. And there are all these like cool images on the screen of like pages turning and clues. And it just reminded me of like 
yeah, this is what Bone Collector tries exactly. to do. Exactly. I and, have that note too. And this is why Philip Noyce was like, you set me up to fail. I mean, I already am like, oh, this is a better opening than, <laughs> than the Bone Collector. But the Bone Collector did that so clunky. Yes, and like, it was so clunky. Nerdy. That was our word of the, the episode. Yes. And Seven, it's like really cool. Like the music so is great. Cool. The scenes are really like scary, but like, I, there's like a you needle don't really know what's thread. going on yes the needle and thread and then like tiny tiny writing so you're trying to like look. yeah and the font is awesome so if you can't tell we're big fans of seven. yes and the last image that we see from the credits are the words in god we trust on a dollar bill and the word god cut out from the dollar bill and then the song ends and the last line in the song is you get me closer to god and you know this movie has a lot of religious undertones in terms of of Absolutely. course the seven deadly sins now we get a um, text over the screen that says that it's Monday. It's not your typical Monday because Brad Pitt is in bed with Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> and they both look flawless. Um, and I mean, for flawless for waking up. Uh, she's sleeping in like this white frilly tank and her character's name is Tracy as a reminder. So Mills is kind of attempting to get ready for work without waking her up. And he is pantsless, I think, with just like a button down white shirt and a tie on. But then the phone rings. She wakes up. And, you know, all the kind of noise and cars outside, I think there's the sound of a truck backing up. And she's like, I thought we moved here to get away from tractor pulls. So obviously they were living somewhere in the countryside before. They have a really playful rapport. He leans in to give her a kiss. And I kept thinking like, oh, she probably has morning breath. <laughs> um, and then he's like, Serpico's got to go, which I think is referring, I had to look this up, but Me too. referring to Al Pacino's character in the movie Serpico from the 70s. It's like about a New York cop. Yeah. Uh, I don't know NYPD if you know more. officer Frank Serpico who went undercover to expose corruption in the force. So Perfect. I think because he tries to identify with someone yes. who's just like doing the right thing and going to be the yeah, hero. Yeah, identifying corruption, moving to the big city, yeah. wanting to make a mark. Totally. But I love Serpico has got to go. And then she says that he might want to get rid of the little crusty in his eye. <laughs> and she gets it for him. And they have like a very comfortable, cute marriage. They're adorable. You know, like they're just adorable. So anyway, he leaves the house. Uh, he arrives at a new crime scene. It is raining, of course. It looks so dreary and depressing, perfectly in keeping with a uh, the worst city in the world. So then the cop at the scene tells them that the guy inside is dead, and Mills is questioning him about it. He's like, okay, did you check his vital signs? And the cop says, this guy ain't breathing unless he's breathing spaghetti sauce. Which Confusing. I was like, what's oh, going shit. on? Oh, yeah. my God. Okay, I remember this scene. <laughs> And yeah. that's when I remembered what was going to come next. But Mills gets snappy with him and is like, oh, this is how it's done around here. And they have some little jabs at each other. And we're just learning Mills is a very, like, passionate, confrontational, and aggressive person. And Somerset is a little uncomfortable with that. And once they're inside the apartment, he asks him, I wonder what was the point of that conversation you were about to get into? So Somerset kind of questions him about that. And they're still very tense, their, their relationship. Um, Mills is like, I'm just wondering how many dead bodies aren't actually dead. So they've got their flashlights on and they're walking through this like super dark, dingy apartment. It's yeah. just, it's like everything's dark. Everything's dark and tiny and, and shadowy and hard to see. And it seems dirty. Mm -hmm. Like there's just something oh, about it that feels filthy. Even yeah. if you can't really see much, it's mm -hmm. just, yeah. And there's minimal lighting and then their flashlights beam on this huge giant back of a man who is slumped over a kitchen table. It's really inhuman. It does not look... It, no, it, it looks, looks like a giant, crazy, like weird, like puppet. Because it's so large. So yeah. large. Sorry, he, we shouldn't... 
he, yeah. the but body. But you really can't tell at first. It's very confusing. It's like this is a body, but what? And this is like what we're talking about here is like probably like 500 pound, yes. 600, 700 pound man, yeah. right? Like, and, yeah. He's huge, like very huge. Um, And he's surrounded by, there's like all these like spaghetti sauce oh cans on the shelves surrounding him. And it's so creepy. Like it's repeating, so creepy. repeating, repeating spaghetti yes cans. it's just like all you just see the labels mm-hmm. and it's all just spaghetti and he is truly face down in a plate of spaghetti mm-hmm. uh there's cockroaches crawling around oh god so for this scene they had to oh what my god. oh no they oh had no. to those cockroaches are real and they no. yeah they had to dump out like crates of cockroaches and so the actor that played that's a real actor that's playing the the large man it's like there's prosthetics and stuff but okay he Thank God, because he gets fat shamed a lot. I know. Oh, my God. Poor guy. Uh, He had to have, like, special things made to cover all of his orifices so that cockroaches (gasps) wouldn't get up. Because he had to sit there for so long. I hope they paid him well. So that's funny that you said that. Because he was supposed to be paid the normal, uh, like, the normal fee for someone that's, like, playing that type. Like, a dead body. Right. Like, not that much. But he was like, are you fucking kidding me? No. And he renegotiated. And once he found out what he was doing, I think all of them did all of the extras maybe, or not, they're not extras, but all of the characters that aren't like are, real characters are murdered, just, yeah. um, did. And it's because the conditions that they had to be in and lay for so long and do whatever, it might've been one that started it a different one, but then they all were properly compensated for it. I that. do not. I'm happy to hear that because that's <laughs> fucking disgusting. Oh my God. I know. I know. <laughs> Back when like you couldn't, they just were make... all real. Like, okay, we'll get to it, but yeah. Okay. Okay, so yeah, there's cockroaches. If you haven't been able to tell, this is a very just gross and like physically you can feel oh, just the nastiness yeah, it's, it's of so the It's so grimy. Um, so the victim's hands and legs, I think, are bound under the table. Yes. And the two, you know, detectives start to investigate. And Mills starts telling a story of some other case he worked on back in the day. And Summer, Somerset says, will you please be quiet? Which I loved. <laughs> He's like, I am so over you already. <laughs> He's got, they have just totally different energies. They're yes, not vibing. They're just not on the same wavelength. Um, and so then Mills does something more productive and finds a bucket under the table and he le- leans in to see what's in it. And then he like doubles back in disgust and is like, Oh my God. And it's vomit. And so it's like this guy's vomit. And Somerset asks if there's blood in it. And he was like, I don't know, help yourself. And then he's like, do you think it was poison? So a doctor comes in and says that they've got forensics waiting outside. And Somerset actually tells Mills, like, why don't you go help the cops question the neighbors while forensics comes in? And of course, Mills is pissed because he's like, this is beneath me. But he goes and does it anyway. And the doctor lifts the victim's face out of the spaghetti and goes, he's dead. (laughs) And Somerset says, thank you, doctor, which is just amazing. (laughs) Like, so you're like, okay, yeah, obviously. Mm -hmm. So on the drive back to the precinct... Windshield wipers going full force, super rainy. Um, and Mills starts kind of chatting with Somerset about his background, saying, like, have you seen my files? And have you seen everything I've worked on? And he's trying to say, like, why did you put me? Why did you make yeah, me go I'm not a question the neighbors? Yeah. And so Somerset's like, no, I haven't seen your files, but I made the decision in the moment based on what was needed, not based on whether you were getting enough playing time. Mm. Uh, so they have this kind of like harsh cutting exchange and Mill says, don't jerk me around, man. So <laughs> still not getting on, not yet, but hopefully they'll turn a corner at some point. 
So now they're at the autopsy, autopsy with the coroner. And oh my God, this guy oh is freaking huge. And his belly is like sewn up the middle, I think, because he, he had to do the autopsy. So they do like the T yeah. cut. Yeah. Yeah. So he's sewn up the middle and we can see his balls hanging below his belly <laughs> on the table. I know. Like we see everything. Um, yeah, there's no, uh, yeah, there's no, there's, there's no, no privacy. There's, in, there's in nothing this. for the dead. It's very, yeah. Yeah. So uh, lots of fat shaming of the victim. How do he let himself get this, you know, like all that kind of stuff? How do he fit through the door? In general, Brad Pitt's character is like really crude and kind of like Very. a meathead, like kind of saves the day cop who uses a lot of slurs and disrespectful words that would not be accepted these days. Yes. So um, he definitely starts off on that here. And the detectives are like circling the body and examining it. And the forensic guy tells or the coroner tells them that the interior wall of his stomach was literally like ripped open he was hemorrhaging he burst basically died by eating too much oh my god but there's evidence of bruising from a gun on the victim's head so mills is like ladies and gentlemen we have ourselves a homicide and i was just like duh like i thought his <laughs> like hands, his hands were and bound. feet were tied yeah he's what not gonna tie his own he wouldn't have been able to even do that and, and then, then somerset looks at him spaghetti. like you're an idiot <laughs> He literally died by eating too much oh, spaghetti. For also, oh my God, the corner holds up his stomach. Yeah. And it's, oh yeah. It Ooh. fills a grocery bag. Like it's, it's huge. Because stomachs are small. I don't know what they're supposed to look stomachs like. Stomachs are quite small. They're like this big. Okay. And so they, this they do was, expand. But that was his. And he said, and look, it stretches. Yeah, it's like, it could oh, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Another detail too is that he says his throat was swollen. And for yes. some reason that really got me yeah like, because he was forced. the idea that you eat until your throat is swollen i can't yeah, even imagine like you can barely it. even fit anything it's i know so I'm like, painful I, the way that these de- oh my god and this is just beginning yep and so now we're in the captain's office the mm-hmm. no-name captain's office mm-hmm. and somerset and mills are there and he somerset's giving him like a, a recap of what happened to this victim basically somerset's like if you want someone dead you just drive by and shoot them like you don't yeah. take the time to do this unless it has true meaning. Right. Um, but the captain is very like simple dude. And he's just like, no, someone just wanted to kill the fat boy. It's funny. Cause like I always, I mean, cause this, this is people's lives and this is like a horrible murder. But if you yeah. think of it in like work terms, you know, when some com- someone comes to you with like a complicated problem and you yes. don't want it to be complicated. Yes. So you're just like, yes. no, it's this. <laughs> I don't, I mean, obviously you can't do that when you're in this line yeah. of work. Yeah. You have to get justice for the victims and do the right thing. But I just, if you think about it as a job, it yeah. is like, you're like, no, 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 please, please. There's not someone who is going to the grocery store to feed twice to feed this person enough spaghetti sauce so that yep. their stomach bursts. Like it's just, it's just nothing. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. Like sweep it I, under again. The I don't know how you can look at this one and be like, no worries. Um, I know he was just like, no, he just wanted to kill the fat boy. Yeah. But, but you're right. That's like a great comparison because I could totally relate to someone reacting that way in a very like, a job that doesn't matter like totally. this does to human life. Yeah. This is not just a no big deal though. Yeah. So they, you know, Somerset says that there were these two receipts found and it was clear the killer stopped in the middle of everything and made a second trip to the supermarket. And he says he thinks this is the beginning and there's just going to be more murders and the captain still won't give and says like, it's just one body. Don't start that big brain of yours. <laughs> um, and Somerset says he wants to be reassigned. He says that this can't be his last duty before he retires in six days. It's just going to go on and on. So he's just like, having this premonition or based on experience, basically that like, this isn't just going to be a one murder thing. This is a good scene too. I like how it's set up like the, his off the, the chief's office is really dark. They're on, 
Somerset opposite and Mills are on sides. opposite sides. Yep. Mills is being really, he's like moving. He's, uh, he's leaning over. He's yeah. like, adjusting his uh, gun thing. That's he's like so antsy him. and just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Somerset's very calm, calm and is like, I would like to be resigned. Yes. And, he's and I'm not embarrassed to say that in front of this, my new partner. No. So the captain and Mills are like really, I guess, shocked by Somerset saying he wants to um, be reassigned and he also says he doesn't think it should be Mills's first assignment either so he's like I don't want this to be my assignment but I also don't think it should be Mills assignment because it's too soon for him and Mills is like come on this isn't my first assignment you dick <laughs> and then the captain ends up telling Somerset um, hey I'm sorry old buddy but it looks like you're stuck cleaning up the fat man so it's still his case as of right now but Mills is, I think, getting moved and isn't supposed to be focused anymore on this yeah. particular case. So then it's Tuesday and we get the text on the screen. <laughs> and it's another super dreary morning on the streets of not New York City. And there are newspaper headlines reading that a defense attorney named Eli Gould, Gould? Yeah, Gould. was found murdered. And guess what? Detective Mills is on this case. So he got kind of moved to focus on this new defense lawyer's um, murder case. So he strolls into the crime scene, which is the lawyer's very fancy office, and he tells the officers there to take a break. And on the office TV, we see a press conference with the district attorney, and he's ensuring everyone that law enforcement has it under control, they have their best people on this, and justice will be swift. And Mills looks very worried and <laughs> pressured at the idea that he is their best people. Um, like, a little bit. I don't yeah. know. He just yeah, has yeah, this, yeah. like, moment of, like, ugh. So... We zoom out. I love this. Like, oh my God. I was going to say this, every fucking scene in this movie. So well shot. And I feel like I haven't focused on that enough, but it's very well shot. It's, David Fincher is like an amazing beautiful director. beautiful to watch. Like the office is beautiful. And then yes, the scene where we zoom out and then I'm sure you're going to get to what yeah. we see. Yeah. So we zoom out on the full picture of the crime scene in the attorney's office and across the carpet and like huge bloody letters is the word greed. And there's just blood. It's like there's like a big pool of blood. And then there's very clear letters Huge. that read greed. And it almost looks like, yeah, like just seeing it from like a bird's eye view with him standing It looks like there, bubble letters like yeah. on top of the screen. It's like almost like, yeah, weirdly beautiful. His foot is also right next to it. I'm like, yeah, oh, you're not I'm like, please don't. This is a yeah. crime scene. Don't you? I mean, I guess it doesn't. But yeah, don't contaminate the evidence. Yeah. Um, oh, I did love that he had his tie tucked in his shirt, too, because that's oh, such I a fun detail because they don't want to like get the tie into oh that's smart it's like a very police thing i always notice it because it's, it's i would never notice something like that it's a so funny little thing that's a great observation so he there's also a framed photo of the attorney's wife mm -hmm. on the on the desk and that has like all i could do is describe it as like blood glasses it is that's exactly what it is it it's looks red like, circles around her eyes yeah in the red shape circles of red bubble glasses yeah yeah, so that's that's strange. And we're kind of, we've moved on. Someone is, we're back in the, the precinct and someone is scratching Somerset off of Detective Somerset's office. So yeah. we're, you know, obviously seeing that he's on his way out. Someone's already taking the letters off of his door and probably preparing for whoever's next. And he's typing away at a typewriter. Oh, mm -hmm. a typewriter. Mm -hmm. And the captain comes in to inform him about the murder, the new murder, and the word greed on the floor. And Somerset's interest is piqued. He does stay focused on, like, the typewriter and everything he's doing. Um, 
And I said, because he can't make a mistake or he has to use whiteout or something. I don't yeah. understand how it works, but it's, it's not easy to erase. So the captain kind of questions him about how, how are you going to leave all this behind? Like this work was made for you. And he's just not believing that he's actually going to be able to get up and leave. And Somerset says that he's going to take care of a farm or something, which I guess is the dream for all of us mm-hmm. after we're yeah, like a done working. Uh, and he tells the captain that, you know, just that day, four blocks from the precinct, some man was attacked that morning while he was walking his dog and his wallet was taken and he was laying helpless on the ground and the attacker stabbed him in both eyes still, which is a horrible, yep. vi- like we didn't even it's see it. It's super visceral. But the visualization of it, and also I was like, oh my God, the dog. Like, what happened I to know, the dog? I know, what happened to the dog? Hopefully the dog is okay. Yeah. Um, and he says, like, I just don't understand this place anymore. Like, he's truly just having this, like, existential crisis, it seems like, where he's like... Definitely. I don't understand people. I don't know. This this world is so horrible mm-hmm. and dark. He's so disillusioned. Yeah. yeah. And who wouldn't be? Right. I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Like, I'm already feel that way right. sometimes, and I'm not uh, seeing the worst yeah. of this worst city, <laughs> city every day. Being an, a cop or an investigator. So uh, before he leaves, before the captain leaves Somerset's office, he hands him an evidence container and says that these are pieces of plastic that were fed to the obese guy, the victim. Yeah, they were mixed into his food. I don't really know how they know that exactly. I know. Like, how are they? It's like a little stomach acid or something. Oh, true. Yeah. It's like a little container. Yeah. A little test tube. And then like the plastic pieces pieces are kind of. I just fucking love everything in this movie. Like down to the. It's so well executed like there are just no details were forgotten about yes. you know the kind of movie where you're like they totally forgot yeah. about that everything's explained like angelina jolie not being wet when she came out of the hudson right. river never would have happened in this because well, it's just raining the whole time well but yes yeah. <laughs> she would have been always wet um and so okay so somerset is like his interest to speak to yeah him. of course so he goes back to the original crime scene um and he reinvestigates with the container in his hand he opens the fridge which is disgusting mm-hmm. and he notices like these gouges on the floor yeah under, like grooves worn in yeah under the fridge light and then he kind of takes the pieces of plastic from his stomach this was a little confusing to me but he takes the pieces of plastic he lines them up and he lines them up like into the grooves yeah right? so they were like worn out from is it the floor yeah so the the and he sees like oh the the fridge has moved and so that's why it, there were like these worn down grooves and that's right. where the pieces came from okay yeah so that's what that's what was going on there i guess um but really what's most important here is he that alerts him to the fact that like there's something the fridge going moved. on with the fridge the yeah. fridge was moving so he moves the fridge and behind it is the word glutton scratched into the wall mm-hmm. um and there's also a piece of paper taped to it so greed <laughs> glutton what do these words have in common? Mm-hmm. So Somerset goes back to the precinct to talk to Captain and Mills. They're kind of in like an open office setting here, which yeah. I was like, they have both, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have like an open floor where they can work and then or their own office. Yeah. yeah which is interesting. Kind of dreams. Yeah. Um, so he reads aloud from the piece of paper that was like stuck on the glutton um, drawing. And it says long is the way and hard that out of hell leads up to light. Which makes almost no sense to me, but <laughs> apparently <laughs> well, means it's the beginning. Yes, he's like the captain is very confused, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I get it, bro. I'm confused too. And Somerset's like, Oh, it's from Paradise Lost. It means that this is a beginning. Yeah. And then he then goes on to educate the captain and Mills on the seven deadly s- sins. So he kind of takes them through each one and shows the picture of the glutton um, scratch. What I don't even know what it is. It's, it's written just, in Greece. Oh, it's Greece. Okay, yeah. so it's even more perfect. Yes, because it's like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. has to do with glutton. 
Um, so it's written in Greece. He shows them the picture of it and he goes, you can expect five more of these, which is a scene that they use in the trailer and everywhere mm-hmm. to just be like, there's going to be five more murders. Uh, so he reinforces to the captain, like, look, I can't get involved mm-hmm. and maybe you should give it to Mills. And the captain looks really reluctant while Mills is practically jumping out of his seat <laughs> being like, make me, make me a golden retriever, <laughs> which is honestly not the way I think of Brad Pitt at all. So I think he does a really good job of balancing his kind of like cool demeanor, like cool guy demeanor, but like inserting this very eager, just like overzealous Mm -hmm. um, detective. And where Angelina Jolie was just too pretty to be Uh a cop, which I don't want to draw comparisons between like a man and a woman being beautiful. Oh, and they do end up together. Anyway. um, Branch. It's just, he's so good looking, but I don't know how I'm still believing that he's like this, like puppy dog, like cop. Like he, I know you're right. Actually. That's true. I wasn't ever feeling he's, like he's fucking gorgeous. Like he is just so good looking. There's really only one scene though, where I'm like, Oh, this is Brad Pitt. He looks like a model. Otherwise I'm fully immersed in him as this like young from the suburbs or the country cop coming to the big city and being yeah. kind of this golden boy that, I think it's like Angelina Jolie has almost like a otherworldly yeah. look to her. Mm-hmm. And, and Brad, Pitt, Brad can... Pitt could be the most attractive man in like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, 300 mile radius. Or yeah. something. I mean, probably a lot bigger than that. But uh, he he does have like an all-American look to him. Yeah. Um, and he's covered a lot with clothes. So you can't see like his, his beautiful ripped, body. Yeah. yeah. I'm Which in Fight fan. Club. Oh, yes. I was just like, they're... <laughs> This fucking dude. How do you even look at him like without just like... Have you seen that new uh, movie with Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock and Mm -hmm. Brad Pitt's in it for like a second? No, I don't think so. I actually cannot remember what it's called, but I watched it this weekend. Okay. And he's in it just really quick. Like he has almost like a cameo. No, he plays this great character that's so funny. Like as for Brad Pitt, he's just... I'm. I I mean, this is not new. This is not original. Everybody loves Brad Pitt. But watching this movie, I was like... God, you are a star. Like you are just <laughs> how I felt like that watching him in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. Which oh, same. Yes. He's just no matter what, he's a star. I know. He's that's I mean, a perfect that's description. Why, that's why he is Brad Pitt. Yeah. He's he's he's. But just else. the fact that he's so good looking and that he can still play this role where he's like believable as this you know sunshiny like yeah. I, I want to change the world in this dark city cop is impressive. Yeah, I think he did a great job. And I think he actually won some MTV movie awards. Yeah, that's right. We'll get into it. (laughs) Uh, Which is a true testament to your acting abilities. Totally, yes. Um, So where were we? Okay, We're going to the library. Yes, we're going to the library. So Somerset takes a cab to the library. It's just funny little note. When he's in the cab on the way... And the cab, cabbie asks him, like the driver asks him where he's going. He says, far away from here. And I was like, is he already piecing out going Me too. to the I was like, early? Yeah, same. I thought he was done. And then he was going to have to be come back. I was like, I can't remember this part. But he's just going to the yeah. library. No, he's like, far away from here, the library. But to him, I think the library is it's far his away. Place. It's yeah. like his, we learned that this is his spot. It's very scenic and atmospheric. What a gorgeous library. And I was like... In a weird way, it reminds me a tiny bit of the library at Buff State, but way more architectural and like I beautiful. get what you mean, yeah. But there's something about the space that just kind of reminded it's me a of huge, that. Huge. There's, I mean, super tall ceilings. There's those mm-hmm. classic green lamps. Yes, I love the those green lamps. The green lamps, lamps are so cute. I deleted the um, fun fact about this, the trivia fact, so I don't know exactly what it was, but that set was actually created as like I think it was a bank for another movie. Oh, I and can then see they, that. I th- maybe it was the mask, and then they reused it mm. and like made it into a library because they couldn't quite capture the atmosphere that David Fincher wanted mm. in like any of the libraries that they were looking at. So it's a completely like it's a set. He's a phenomenal director. He yeah, he so. 
Somerset knows the security guards mm-hmm. and employees there. And he like jokes about them playing a game of poker surrounded by all this knowledge and books. And they're just like, whatever. And they, they nickname him. They have a nickname for him. They call him Smiley, which yeah. is obviously ironic. <laughs> um, but I love that. Me too. And so we get a little like, kind of like a montage here. It goes back and forth between Somerset and his like ancient books about the seven deadly sins at the library. No Wikipedia, apparently. Um, reading under the little green desk lamp. And Mills, who's studying the evidence from the um, obesity murder, as they've been calling it, at home on his couch. And it's getting super late at the library. And Somerset seems to be referencing this like old this list of old Dante books, I think, that were intended for Mills mm-hmm. um, to do some research. I think because this wasn't going to be his case at first, right? Yeah, he so didn't want to take it. He wanted it to Yeah, be- but now he's like... Mm, I'm going to do my own research. So he's got the list. Uh, And he's very happy to do this research. And (laughs) security guards are like, you're going to miss us, Smiley. So the next morning, it's Wednesday. Mills is in his car, reading Dante, (laughs) trying to understand (laughs) the seven deadly sins, just like Somerset, but he does not have the same like thirst for knowledge, (laughs) at least not in this manner. And I'm not going to say exactly what he yells because he's a slur, but he's like, goddamn poetry writing piece of shit. Mm Mm-hmm and Somerset and Mills are now sharing the office that I think that Somerset will be vac- vacating soon and so they're scrunched together in these like two desks it's very awkward um they have this like tension as soon as they walk through the door together and the phone rings Mills answers the phone because uh Somerset is like well you might as well it's a full package deal or something like that and it's Tracy his wife and uh, Mills like immediately his voice gets softer. He talks like, super hey, quietly. <laughs> he like doesn't want Somerset to hear him. It's actually kind of adorable. It is. Um, and then he's like, no, no, come on. And he's like pleading with her about something. And then he like reluctantly turns to Somerset <laughs> and he's like, it's my wife. She wants to speak with you. It's like my mom wants to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> my wife wants to talk to you. And I was like, oh, adorable. Okay. And Somerset tells, so he puts her on the phone with um, Somerset, who tells Tracy that he appreciates the offer, whatever it is, but that he can't take her up on it. But then he's like, oh, well, in that case, I'll be there, which I still wonder. We don't. What, uh, me too. I was trying to what listen. Was it? I don't know. What did, he, what did she offer? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe just a certain food she was yeah. cooking or something. But we never anyway. really see. Yeah. So he hangs up the phone. There's this big, long, awkward pause. <laughs> he just goes back to his work and Mills is looking at him like, what the fuck? Man? Yeah. What, what did she say? What did she say? And then he goes, oh. I've been invited to a late supper at your apartment. And Mills is not placed. <laughs> He's like, tonight? <laughs> yeah, like, tonight. I've accepted, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, and I've accepted. He's so formal and calm and just, like, the most adorable person. Um, and then, so they arrive for dinner. Tracy greets them at the door. and hello, men. She's like, hello, men. Yep, it's so just charming and Mills is like hey loser and she responds hey idiot it's cute so they have like a very kind of young romance yeah um which we learn soon after they were high school sweethearts Mm -hmm. so makes sense that they still call each other like idiot and loser yeah actually reminds me of something you and your fiance would say to each other oh thanks (laughs) (laughs) you'd be calling each other losers um and Tracy tells Somerset she's heard a lot about him, but doesn't even know his first name. Mm. And he introduces himself as William. So she goes, William, I'd like you to meet David. About yeah, it's David cute. Mills. And it's adorable because she's trying to really bridge the tense gap between them yes. and be like, you guys are both human beings. She's doing sort of this. She is an angel. She's an angel. And honestly, she doesn't get enough screen time. And she, she doesn't, doesn't. She doesn't really she add enough to. a teeny, teeny bit of character development. A teeny. little bit. Her yeah. 
but like her purpose is really to bring them together. Yes. Which she does so well. Mm-hmm. Like she understood she the assignment. everything completely. <laughs> yes. She is. She's, she's a she's diffuser yeah. and a like de-escalator. Yeah. So, um, we learned that the, the mills, David and, um, and Tracy, they have quote unquote kids, but their kids are actually puppies. It's and so, so they have like all these dogs and he's like, I got to go check on the puppies or I got to go check on I, the kids. How are the kids? Yeah. <laughs> and then he's rolling around on the floor with like, all the he, newspaper on the floor. Honestly, he is, a, he is like a puppy. He like, is. He's a golden retriever of a man. And so he's just like on the floor with these other dogs, just like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty cute. And so Somerset's like starting to see him as a human now. Like, oh, you foster dog or you have dogs. You have dogs and like your wife is so lovely. And so Tracy and Somerset get to know each other as Tracy is finishing dinner in the kitchen. And she tells him like that she and David are high school sweethearts. And she knew she was going to marry David because he was the funniest guy she ever met. (laughs) This is funny. And Somerset is like, really? (laughs) Like he's like very doubtful. (laughs) Um, and then Tracy is a little freaked out by Somerset's gun that's mm-hmm. showing in his jacket. And he can tell that like it freaked her out. And he's like, don't worry, I'm not going to wear it to the dinner table. And she tells him that she just still can't get used to guns as much as she sees them. And he's like, same here. I can't either. And I was like, same here. <laughs> I, yes. Okay. Yeah, fuck guns. <laughs> fuck guns. So they've got like this smooth jazz record playing and they're all sitting down at the dinner table and they all have like little half glasses of wine. And Tracy asks Somerset why he's not married, just like super directly getting straight to the point. And um, Mills is like, oh, Mills Tracy. is like, oh, God. He's like, you're so annoying. It's so cute. Um, and then I love his response. Somerset goes, anyone who spends a significant amount of time with me finds me disagreeable. Just ask your husband. Mm-hmm. And he goes, very true. Very, very true. <laughs> and they start talking about the city, this vague city that they live in. And how the Mills family or the Mills couple are liking it, kind of. They're, like, not really giving much information. And Somerset tells them they'll get used to it. There are things about every city. And he says this right as the house vibrates <laughs> as if, like, an insane eight-level earthquake. Everything's shaking. Yeah. Just went off. But it's actually a subway train right above their apartment. The wine glasses and everything are shaking. And it's just going crazy. And Tracy's quick to say, oh, it'll go away quickly. But... David tells Somerset that the real estate a real estate guy scammed them and gave them the apartment without telling them about the subway track. So like apparently he only brought them in for like five minute increments. Ugh, this I can't is imagine. a very New York thing. Yeah. Though. So uh, then they kind of have this moment of like it's a vibrating <laughs> house. Like it's like they're realizing the comedy of it and like the hilarity of it. And they all burst into laughter and the tension breaks. It's, it's so cute. So Somerset's amazing. laugh is so awesome. Like after yes. it just He's so just long so joyous. Being, yeah. He's like, cannot control it. Like yes. his smile is like huge, takes up his entire face. And Mills is like, okay, come on. <laughs> like, but they're like liking each other right now. It's great. It's, it's such like a moment of humanity. Strong. Then there was this sort of like learning about like the humanity of both of them. And then there was this like relief, mm-hmm. release of tension. Yeah. So it's a great scene. Um, and then I guess later that night, they're still at um, the Mills' house and Somerset and Mills are really acting like partners now. And I said, thanks, Tracy. <laughs> they're talking about the second murder together and they're looking at photos of the t- attorney and they're talking about how he was like forced to self-mutilate. Yeah. And this part is like, I think they, basically the killer was forcing the lawyer to cut off pieces of his own flesh and then put it on a scale. For a pound of flesh. Uh, for a, one pound of flesh, no more, no less. Yeah. And 
Oh my God. It's yeah. This is the first time we learn how he died. Cause we yeah, didn't know. We, we just, didn't know. We saw the crime scene, but he we actually had a, like he was forced yep. to, he bled to vet blood to death right what yeah because he yeah because he had to yes. cut off his love handle essentially yeah. like part of his stomach inside oh my god oh I my just, god i have a question the chicken wings that are on the way are turning over oh my, my god yes, already. i better make sure that those aren't here yet okay um our order has been picked up and it is on the way we are sick for doing yes that. um and it's gonna be all red and oh, oh my god sorry okay. okay wait my question is yes if you were gonna be murdered oh no would you be like, yeah, I'll go ahead and cut myself up. Like, wouldn't you just be like, no, just kill me? Like, I'm not, I don't want to do that for you. Um, maybe like he thought he could live. Maybe I he guess there might be this glimmer of hope, like, the, like cutting off a piece of him. So but yes, if someone was like, you need to cut off this part of you, or I'll kill you, I'll be like, just kill me. Like, I'd rather just. And then die. eventually, after you do the one, and he keeps telling you to keep going, mm-hmm. like, wouldn't you eventually be like, no, just kill me and put yeah. me out of my misery? And he but looks like a hunk. Like, sorry. Oh, it's disgusting. It's very gross. We see the pictures now because yeah. they're yeah. looking through the crime scene. It's, it's graphic. The crime scene pictures, yeah. Ugh. So I guess there's this kind of concept from the Bible. And I'm really bad at Bible things oh, and same. religious things. I'm not going to be able to help you there. I know nothing. Yeah. Um, but there's kind of this concept of attrition instead of oh, atonement. Yes. I know in attrition, I was like, um, I know I was like, uh, like when people <laughs> like letting people go, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know what? Industry, we're not in the same industry. Yeah. So it, basically what it means is that rather than atoning for your sins, you're kind of like forced to be, to feel bad for your sins only because you were punished or something was like done to you to, to make you feel bad. Like someone has a gun to your head or something like that. So that's sort of what they're talking about going on here. They start focusing on the attorney's wife and the picture of her and the blood that's over her eyes. And they're trying to figure out like, what does that mean? So they decide to go on a late night rendezvous together to visit the wife who's at a safe house that David sent her to. And Mrs. Gold is, she's crying hysterically when they get there uh, Mills is trying to get her to look through each picture of the evidence to see anything that might be out of place. And she's understandably upset, which honestly, anytime this happens in movies, I'm like, how could she, I know. how would anyone be okay with this right now? Of course they don't want to look at these pictures. I like yeah. I don't even want to look at these pictures. And she ends up actually looking at one of them and really noticing something out of place. And it's a painting. The painting is upside down. So they're off to the greed crime scene again and I'm like, what time is it right now? It's got to be like two or three in the morning or something. I don't know. And they take the painting off the wall and Mills is ready to give up because they at first can't find anything. They're trying to figure out like, okay, he must be trying to tell us something here. What is it? And they're like, he's fucking with us. Somerset starts brushing the wall behind the painting with like a fingerprint brusher thing mm-hmm. yeah. and finds clear fingerprints. And so he's like, call the print lab. And they're this- in like a shape. So he's yes, like, they're in a shape weird, and they don't know what yet. it is yet. So they go to the print lab and they put like a black light thing on the image of the fingerprints and they are letters that spell out, help me. Mm -hmm. And the prince guy says the fingerprints aren't the victims based. He can already tell based on the patterns he can see off the bat. So they assume, okay, well maybe it's the killer, but it's going to take a while for the prince to finish running through the system. I believe one of the fingerprint analysis people, I don't know if it's the one in that scene. I think it is is Morgan Freeman's son. No way. Yeah. Oh, cool. Fun fact. That is a fun fact. So Somerset and Mills are waiting on a couch together outside the lab because uh, they know it's going to take a while. And Somerset starts sort of questioning Mills on whether he really meant what he said about 
catching this guy because he told he told the wife of the attorney like don't worry we're gonna catch this guy and Somerset says he wishes he still thought that way but he thinks that you know they're they're not gonna catch the guy or that's like ultimately not the optimism that he has and so Mills is like well what do you think we're even doing here and he has this really like interesting little almost like a little monologue where he talks about he feels like they're just picking up the pieces, collecting the evidence, writing everything down, basically documenting, noting the time it happened, basically just admin work and filing things away in case it's ever needed in the courtroom. And then he makes this sort of metaphor of like, we're like picking up diamonds on a deserted island, saving them in case we get rescued, which mm-hmm. I think is a really interesting concept. And and to show his sort of like, I don't know, his lack of motivation and just sort of feeling of... Um, hopelessness hopelessness and just disappointment with with his job and mills is like bullshit and is just saying he can tell that somerset got a rush tonight and he knows they're getting somewhere so he's trying to be like i know you like this and Mm -hmm. it's funny because everyone around somerset is like you're so good at this i know you love this secretly and he's like no i don't no i don't no i don't and he's like no even the most promising clues usually only lead to others Oh, yeah, I like that line, too. Which I really like. So mm-hmm. the next morning, they wake up on the couch because they Thursday. fell asleep together, and it's Thursday. And the captain comes in, and he goes, wake up, Glimmer Twins, you've got a winner. <laughs> and the prints were verified. So the captain says they belong to some guy named Victor who attempted rape of a minor. He spent some time in prison for robbery and assault. His lawyer was actually Eli Gold, uh, who was the, the mm. murderer or the murdered man with the greed blood who uh and he his lawyer saw to it that he didn't spend much time behind bars so there was a connection between yeah them and so the captain is leading a whole uh team of SWAT members and um detective mills and somerset out the door to go find this guy mills holds back with somerset and he he's like you're not buying this are you and somerset's like no i think our killer seems to have more purpose than this so we're already feeling like, okay, this probably isn't the guy. And on the way over in the car, Mills and Somerset are talking about stupid guns and whether they've ever fired one or had to actually use their guns on someone. And Somerset says no, which is actually like pretty great that he's been a cop for however many decades he has and he's never accidentally fired his gun. I mean, sadly, that's great because it happens so often. And Mills says he did fire at a guy accidentally when he was a rookie and he can't even remember the name of the guy that he shot. And he's just like, God, what is his name? <sighs> and it's just a moment where you like are kind of, first of all, seeing the two different ways in which they interact with the world and also just the carelessness that goes into sometimes mm-hmm. just the average everyday encounters you have that might actually lead to someone's death. So now the SWAT team and the detectives have invaded the dingy apartment building that looks like all the other ones we've seen. There are a lot of dingy apartments in this in this movie. And it apparently belongs to Victor, whose fingerprints were behind the painting. So Perry from Scrubs breaks down the door and goes into a torn, like disgusting, just like torn apart apartment with a million air fresheners. Oh my God, this is so creepy too. From the ceilings. Like the car it's, air fresheners yes. like the trees. Yep. There's hundreds of them and just hanging, hanging from, the, from ceiling. the ceiling which is like a haunting weird it's I've, so how did they think strange. of everything like i just it's very well thought out so they kind of see the they see the figure of a body under the blankets in the bedroom and they're like get up now you sack of shit and i'm like oh no mm-hmm. this guy how this guy is not alive and he's not they pull the covers back and 
my God. This is one of the, I think this is the worst for me. This is the most horrifying scene of the movie for me. This guy is seemingly dead. He looks like, honestly, he looks like a white walker from Game yeah. of Thrones. His flesh is like removed from his face. He looks like a wax sculpture. Yes. His skin is waxy. Emaciated isn't even the word for it because no, he's beyond that. He's, he's, skin, he's barely skin and bones. Barely. And he looks like a skeleton. I mean, he looks like a white walker. Basically, just think of that. And they bring in the detectives, which they refer to as dicks. I don't I didn't yeah, know that was a, a thing. Yeah, that's a police thing. Okay. And they find a bunch of Polaroid photos that the actual real killer left. Clearly, Victor is not the killer. He's just another victim. Um, and these Polaroids, they have dates on the back of them. And they're dating from a whole year ago. Uh, to three days ago and they're pictures of the transformation of Victor's face from like a healthy-ish looking guy to a starved like mutilated looking skeleton um and it's just so traumatizing it's awful to think of one year of that one year how did this person go through this this is and and we find out more so the the main captain guy Perry from Scrubs uh, of the SWAT team leans over the body and is like, you got what you deserved, which I was just like, oh God. And then the body jerks forward and coughs. Oh my God. What the hell? How is this body alive? It's this so is a scary. body. It's, it's like a spasm. It's the scariest spasm. Like, yes. Like it's like a, it's barely, it's not like a cough. It's like a, it's just it's like a spasm. A, it's yeah. A spasm it's a freak volunt- out. involuntary. But like, it's so reaction. scary and he's kind of flailing. It's yeah. very scary. And so, he's alive and they're all screaming oh my god that cocksucker is alive (laughs) and so they had already talked about like only needing a hearse and not an ambulance but now they do need their ambulance so they call they they get the ambulance to take him to the hospital i am absolutely shocked yeah that he's alive. alive uh mills and somerset are still in the staircase of the apartment building and somerset is very calm saying he's playing games with us we have to divorce ourselves from emotion and mills is hot-headed as always and he's like hey man i feed off my emotions and then as if to prove a point a photographer appears on the staircase and starts taking photos of mills and mills freaks out at him and is like get the fuck out of here and he realizes as usual that he like lost his temper and he apologizes kind of to somerset who says in retort, it's impressive to see a man feeding off his emotions. Uh, again, just reinforcing the contrast between the two men. So they're in the hospital now, and the doctor is basically saying Victor's muscles are completely deteriorated. So many drugs in his system. His brain is mush, and he chewed off his tongue a long time ago. Oh, my God. Okay. I hate that detail. Is there a chance he'll survive is what <laughs> Somerset asks. And the doctor is like, Okay, he would die of shock if you shined a flashlight in his eyes yeah. right now. He's experienced more pain and suffering than anyone I've ever encountered. Yikes. It's like, it's so visceral. And, and just, then I think he says like he still has hell to suffer through. Yep, he still has hell to suffer through. Yeah, that's a great line. Yeah. Whew, okay, Ooh. so that's enough of Victor. So back home later that night, Somerset gets a phone call from Tracy. And he's very taken aback by this phone call from his partner's wife she asks if he can meet to talk with her tomorrow morning and it's very like vague and somerset's like i don't understand and then she tells him you're the only person that i know in the city and i really need someone to talk to so fast forward to the next morning tracy and somerset are in a diner booth together tracy's kind of stalling doesn't seem to have a real direction of the conversation at first other than to say she's like unhappy in the city and feels really unsure of what to do but then after some sort of pressing from somerset she tells him what's really on her mind and she reveals that she's pregnant 
and mm. she's not sure she wants to raise a kid in this city and she's really confused on what to do and she hasn't told David yet. So Somerset kind of tells her this backstory of his where, you know, he got an, an ex-girlfriend pregnant a long time ago and he tells her that when he woke up the day after he found out, he had this intense fear he'd never felt before and he thought to himself, like, how could I ever bring a child into this world? So he ended up convincing the woman like he, he actually said he wore her down after yeah. two Ugh. weeks which is really you know obviously not great um and she so she didn't end up having the baby she had an abortion and he's positive he made the right decision but there's not a day that passes that he doesn't wish he had made a different choice which is interesting mm-hmm. and he tells her if she decides not to keep the baby don't ever tell David, which I was like, that's not good not advice. Great advice. No. Um, and if you choose to have the baby, spoil the kid every chance you get. Yeah. A lot of contradictions in this conversation. Yep. And but a very timely conversation to be having. Very timely. And she thanks him for the advice through her tears. And then his pager beeps and he has to run. And who knows? Maybe there's been another brutal, brutal murder. And this is where I will pass things over to Laura. But can I just say, yes, of all the scenes in this movie, <laughs> sorry. I'm going to pass it off to you, but not yet. Um, of all the scenes in this movie, I don't know if I don't, don't know if I love that one. The I don't love scene. that scene. I feel like it's very forced. Yeah. And it's set up for something for later. And it's also just giving her like, a, honestly, if she hadn't had that scene with him, I think there would maybe have been like five minutes of screen time yeah. for her. Agreed. It's Which not is a, okay. It's probably one of the... the, the worst scenes the weakest the weakest weakest it's not a weak movie at all so it probably just stands out it's fine it's a fine scene there's you know this is where we learn that information and she's really sad she is very sad she was in this white like flowy top when he first saw her and she's in like a black hoodie i think in this yeah she looks her scraped back in a ponytail Mm -hmm. like the city is just getting to her so quickly and we learn that she's a teacher so we get like a little bit more backstory yeah. on her but agreed it's not like the strong it wasn't my favorite scene it i also was, don't know how realistic it is that she would pick her no, husband's no partner to have this conversation yeah with very and be like, that's I so true i mean i guess him. she literally knows no one else but like you have a phone you could call someone like i'm assuming you have friends yeah and what home. if he was like i'm gonna tell your husband i mean obviously she knows he's not that guy but still i just I don't, yeah I, don't quite I do it. agree i agree yeah okay take us all right i'll take it through half. for act two so we're back at the precinct with foreboding music and a good old chalkboard all of the yep. seven sins are written out in capital letters we've got gluttony greed and sloth crossed out and envy wrath pride and lust remain in that order And Mills and Somerset are chatting while they stare at the board. Mills is sick of waiting. He wants to go find the lunatic, in quotes. And Mm -hmm. Somerset says, don't call him a lunatic. That's dismissive. This lunatic paid Victor's rent every month, according to the landlord. So we know he's smart and organized. He thinks and he plans ahead. And he has the liquid cash to handle his victim's rent. And they walked into Victor's apartment exactly one year from when he started torturing him. Just truly the most calculated yeah. Killer, there is. Somerset says he's methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. Yeah. Mills is like, okay, well, he's a nutbag. And just because <laughs> I love he has their contrast. It's same. so funny. Yeah. Um, and just because he has a library card doesn't make him Yoda, which this sets something off for Somerset, and they're yeah. off on a field trip. And they know that he studies, he studies books to inform his murders. He must, but like they, they know that there's more. There has to be more. So now they're in a pizza joint. And they're sitting on the same side. They're same siders. And Mills does not like that. Somerset is. <laughs> uh, same cider. Sometimes I can be a same cider. I'm but, not mm. often a same cider unless like the situation is correct. Yeah. yeah. But I don't love to be. 
Um, Somerset has set up this like off the books, unofficial kind of dirty deal to take place in this seedy gross pizza place with someone. And we find out that this someone is a friend of Somerset's from the FBI and that the FBI has been monitoring reading habits, uh, for years. And certain books are flagged stuff like how to build bombs or Hitler's autobiography. And then these records are fed into an FBI system. So it's not something that you can use to charge someone, but it is like a useful guide. It kind of, it's a ping like, Hey, what's going on with that person? We're going to, we're going to dig deeper into them. I don't know if this is, is a thing. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I was like confused by the, it, it felt also a little bit out of it's character a stretch probably too, for yeah. Somerset. Yeah. To set well. up like, cause he didn't like the deal with like photographers and yeah. the police paying them off or yep. the uh, police get paid by exactly. photographers. So, yeah. but this is his friend in the FBI. So, and he's like, you could tell he was like really excited when yeah. uh, Mills said that. And he's like, I have this idea. So they hand off some cash to the bureau guy and um, then they go wait in a barbershop for the bureau guy to return his findings. And he stalks in, he passes them these records and it's it's a list of who has checked out specific books and authors that have written about the seven deadly sins. So they're browsing through, like Mills is reading things off and then he says, St. Thomas Aquinas, I can't remember how it was pronounced, but it turns out that Jonathan Doe checked out this book. And John Jonathan Doe, Doe. <laughs> yeah. John Doe is used as a placeholder name when the true name of a person is unknown or being intentionally concealed. And in the context of law enforcement in the U.S., it's often used to refer to a corpse whose identity is unknown or unconfirmed. I feel like yeah. we've all known this. Jane, Jane Doe and John Doe are used. It's interesting that he lengthens it to Jonathan, Jonathan Doe. Doe. Mm-hmm. So they find Jonathan Doe's address, which is kind of unbelievable. Yeah. Um, he registered when he got his library card. And they're at the <laughs> apartment of this Jonathan Doe. They're yeah. knocking. And Mills is like, this is so dumb. What are we, Charlie's Angels? Yeah. And no one is responding to their knocks. But Somerset spots someone down at the end of the hallway. Uh-huh. It's just a figure that's in shadow. But they have the stare off and stand off for a split second. And it's clear. This is John Doe. This yep. is Jonathan Doe. This is him. We can't see him, but we can see his outline. And he's wearing a trench coat and a wide brim hat. Like, he looks like a, you know, typical yeah, bad guy. Yeah. Um, I could feel my heart stop here, though. And then John Doe shoots at them. Yep. He shoots like a f- he fires off a, quite a few shots. He doesn't hit the detectives, but he they are somehow doesn't hit them. I don't because it's a lot and it's in a thin kind of, you know, because everything is so condensed. It's in this skinny yeah. hallway and it's all dark. Um, Somerset's kind of on the ground, but Mills is off running. He is like, were you hit? OK, bye. Yeah. Like he is off and he's go running chase. after John Doe. Yeah. Um, he's chasing them through like this is a mad chase through the it's, apartment complex. Yeah. There's hallways, there's stairwells, there's children yelling, people screaming, more shots. It's super dark. It's twisty. The camera's following Mills, then Doe, then Mills. And we're seeing what they're seeing. So Mills is chasing uh, him through all of the apartments and the tenants are directing him after the figure. They're kind of like pointing and pointing and pointing him. And yeah, we're like, like through bedrooms, switching through apartments, like, bathrooms, yeah. whatever. And so this kid points out the window and John Doe is there, but he shoots up. He's like jumped out of the window onto the ground. He shoots up into the window. Luckily, he doesn't hit anyone. He just, they narrowly keep missing each other. Then, you know, Mills is out through the window, yeah, jumping on the roof. It's it's a long chase. Mills is like throwing himself, some, himself off of buildings and he does hurt himself. Yes. And then he's got his arm kind of cradled. Mm-hmm. So this was because Brad Pitt did hurt himself in oh, this really? scene. He filmed his own stunts. Yeah. And so in, I think it was a different part, um, when he's like sliding across, across a car, I believe. And it's of course like raining. He ended up really hurting his arm and he did have to be in a cast. So they oh, had to work okay. that into the, it's not That's, unbelievable yeah. though. No, that totally but would happen. Poor I mean, Brad Pitt. honestly, the fact that he wasn't even shot by this point, I is know kind of crazy. It's at least he had to get like severely injured. So, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're still like, they just keep narrowly missing each other. And now 
Mills is outside. He's chased John Doe into kind of like an alleyway and he sees this truck. He thinks he's like maybe in the truck. So he's investigating it. They're kind of, and you see foot like feet around the bottom of the truck. Yes. And then he's, it's, he's there. Doe is, he hits Mills with a tire iron and he's down and he's lost his gun. His gun has gone into a puddle. Yes. We're like, okay, this would be the opportune time to kill him. Yep. So John Doe picks it up. He puts it to his head. And Mills is like, closes his eyes. Yeah. Yeah, He's like, all right, this is it. And you can hear Somerset in the background screaming Mm -hmm. for Mills. And he's like, no, to John Doe. And Doe doesn't shoot him. He runs off. Yeah. Which is okay. Okay. Yeah. And Mills is like not upset enough. Like, no, he's like, but he's like, I'm okay. I'm all right. Whatever. They're already back up at the apartment. They're back up at John Doe's apartment. Mills is an absolute mess, though. He's completely covered in blood. Yeah. He's been majorly injured. His face is a mess. His arm is a mess. He's, like, He's holding a, it to himself. Yeah, 100% disaster. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're kind of, like... Mills, is, Mills yeah. is fired up, obviously. And Somerset like, Let is... Let me go! Yeah. Somerset's <laughs> lecturing Mills, telling him all the reasons why they can't go into the apartment, which are good reasons. Yes. They got the information that led them there illegally from the FBI. How are they going to explain that? And Mills is like, oh, when you're right, you're right. And then he kicks in the door. <laughs> So I think this is like such an interesting scene because there is a a scene later on where it's almost like a, um, it's the precursor to another time that this happens. Mm -hmm. And it's like, doesn't matter how much Somerset talks sense into him. He just is reactive and will do what he wants anyway. You're right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So cut to, I mean, they've broken into the apartment now and they pay off a woman. She seems to be under the influence of a substance. She is not the strongest witness to say the least. They have coached her for sure. Um, and she's told to say like, she noticed, and she's saying this to like a responding officer. She noticed the tenant of John Doe's apartment coming in and out during the times of the murder. So she called detective Somerset and they have her sign off on the statement. So things are kosher now for why they broke into the apartment. They have probable cause. I actually love that they do this though, because yeah. again, nothing is unexplained. Like everything is like, totally here's your explanation um and, and they're just being i mean in this scene they are being kind of like what you would yeah cliche, crooked corrupt. cops yeah. yeah he's like okay go get your something self something to eat 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 you need yeah. to eat like yeah. yeah so now they're in john doe's apartment and holy shit this place is about what you'd expect for someone who is obsessed with carrying out serial murders based on yeah. the seven deadly sins i can't i still can't believe that his address was registered no to his library for jonathan card. doe for jonathan yeah. doe and okay. then they walk in and it's this hell hole it's a hot topic like oh my god it is i was laughing at this because it's like sometimes i think like murders obviously they're not just like us but it's like don't they want like a couch like yeah. this is not like a comfy place the bed has like a glowing huge red cross over it so he's yeah. just laying like a he's like a, a religious, in a coffin yeah. like i don't know so anyway in this apartment it's very dark of course that's the you know name of the game here. It there's is. Bibles, there's spaghetti sauce cans, there's Victor's hand preserved in a jar, and he has <laughs> literally these, everything that leads yes, them to believe that he this has is the these guy. artifacts and like these little shadow box cabinets, like their treasures on display. That's his decor, and he's turned the bathroom into a dark room. There's red lights everywhere where he's been developing pictures of all the victims so far, and then he has this room of notebooks. And Somerset find, like pulls out one of them. It's just pages and pages of writings. It's just rantings. It's manifestos. So Mills calls Somerset, like they're both investigating, they're looking through the apartment and Mills calls Somerset. He turns, he runs into the bathroom and he finds a picture of himself at that crime scene where he beat up the photographer and told him to fuck off. So that photographer that was on the stairs where he had the emotional reaction, it's the picture that that photographer took of Brad Pitt. So 
I guess what was confusing to me was like, are they actually trying to say that this was the photographer that had that whole interaction with him and had that like New York accent and everything like, or I mean, it's not a New York accent, maybe I don't whatever know. the, yeah, whatever, whatever the, the accent, city, is. city accent was that that is, was the killer or that the killer was like, um, purchasing photographs from that person. I thought they were trying to say the killer was that person. The, the photographer okay. was like, uh, you know, pretending to be a photographer, but I'm okay. not sure. I guess once we find out, when we yeah. talk about later who it is, we'll discuss this more. Yeah. Um, so he's like, we had him. Like, we had him. He's so upset. Mills is like beside himself. Like, yeah. we had him on the stairs. So upset about it. And they've called in crime scene investigators. They're going through everything, but they're not finding much in terms of like any identifiers. There's no pay stubs. There's no bills. They found his only source of income, which is a box of cash under the bed. Yeah. And so Mills is like, yes, we have his money, but it's like, is that I, I mean is that really his only money? yeah also maybe he has other identities right other than Jonathan Doe but they haven't found a fingerprint yet yeah and the crime scene investigator is like I know you won't believe it and Mills is like I don't I believe don't. it keep looking. keep looking yeah Somerset has started to read some of the 200 notebooks lining the shelves of one of these rooms and each notebook contains 250 pages which John Doe has filled with rantings and ravings and Somerset Another, loves a good oh, yeah. reading assignment. And these notebooks were all filled with writings. Insane. Prior to the filming. Like they did oh. that level of detail. Like they, actually, it took them like two months for the prop people. Why did they do that? I have no idea. I mean, I love the dedication and commitment. It but just why? seems pointless. I don't know if it's a real fact. It was on one of those like, you know, scroll, scroll, scroll. This is like the 10th on the page. Yeah. Sort of fun like facts a, thing. A, enough of a small detail that you don't need to actually have. People yeah. Have just to, like two or three that yeah. you're going to open. Somerset reads some out loud, and we're getting the picture that this man is not well. Um, he writes a story about how a man on the subway bored him so much that he threw up on him, and then he couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. Yeah. Uh, but again, I just think it's funny that, like, he doesn't have, like, a normal home whatsoever. It's literally, like, this dungeon. I um, know. And once we know who the murderer is, it makes it even funnier to yeah. think about this scene <laughs> and him throwing up on. Yeah. But okay. There's a phone ringing. Yeah. The phone is ringing somewhere in this, like, where is whole apartment. I love this scene. Everyone is like running around trying to find it. And Mills does. He's like digging, digging, digging for the, the cord. And he answers. The caller says, I admire you. And obviously her secret caller is John Doe. He yep. goes on to express his surprise at how he was found out. He lets our detectives know he's going to have to adjust his schedule. He's sorry for hurting <laughs> one of them. And he does want to say more, but he doesn't want to ruin the surprise. And then he hangs up. So he's just like giving them a schedule update and a little apology. Yeah. And he's like, hey, I admire you. Yeah. Goodbye. I'm impressed that you found me. Which it is. It's impressive that they found him. I mean, honestly, methods. maybe he should be unimpressed with himself for leaving yeah. his address at the file. library for John Doe. Yeah, he should have done a fake address. Um, I just had a really stupid moment where I signed a petition outside of a grocery store and I felt like, oh, yeah, I'm like in the mood to sign petitions. I've been doing it for like a week. I'm in the mood. Yeah. And so I just I like didn't really look at it. I was kind of just listening mm -hmm. to the kid explain it. And he was like, oh, it's for like this bill that would like help with like homeless population in Los Angeles. And I was like, wonderful. OK, yeah, great. And so I'm signing it and John's like, what are you signing? And I'm like, shut up. You're making this awkward. Oh my God. And he grabs it and I'm like, oh, and it was for legalizing sports betting in no. Los Angeles. And I had already signed it and put my address <gasps> and I was so mad. I like spent the entire time in the grocery store just being like very upset that I got tricked into signing Oh my God. This, this is like your personality test that you took for work about how that I'm easily, easily manipulated. manipulated. Oh my God. I mean, I get it. Oh, I wanted to go back and cross it out, but it, he was like taking it back from me and John was like let's go let's go and I was like no I 
He has our address. Wow, I'm very annoyed that there are people I know. doing that. I will keep this in mind. Yeah, I did don't... recently sign some petitions. Do you for, know what I it was? Homeland. Did you read anything? I thought it, I. I mean, actually, I did because Michael okay. was with me and he was reading it. So okay, I okay, kind of okay. felt like I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I should have. I, if I would have just read like three lines, I would have seen that it wasn't for it. But I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay, so. Our detectives are uh, looking through all of his stuff now. So they find a photo of a blonde woman in, and they're like, uh, we, all the other pictures are of victims that we've identified. We don't know who this is. And Somerset says he thinks she looks like a pro, which means a sex worker. And now it's Saturday. Um, we get the text. And the detectives are chasing down a receipt that they found for a leather shop. And the leather shopkeeper has a British accent, and he's quite helpful. Of course, he remembers the order for John Doe. Mm-hmm. Um, a leather shop is maybe not what you think. Like when I heard leather shop, I thought it was a place to buy leather goods, like shoes and belts and yes. bags and maybe get like some customizations some monograms, <laughs> if you will. Yes, exactly. Um, but it's not, it's leather daddies. It's S and M it's hardcore. Yeah. Um, so they're there and there are like mannequins in the shop behind our shopkeeper that are bended and contorting in ways and whilst they're wearing like their leather getups and the shopkeeper is like, okay, well I made him this piece. I actually think I undercharged him for it. And he gives them a picture, a Polaroid that he took of his work. He's very proud of it. And just in that moment, like they're just looking at it, they get a page, their beepers go off and they found the blonde. Yep. So the cops have swarmed a sex club. This looks more intense than the one from single white female. Uh-huh. Um, it's also called a massage parlor when this club is described on Wikipedia, but I disagree. It's like, obvious. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I guess that was like the cover. Yeah. And that's like a common, uh, whatever. That's funny. So Mills and Somerset are brought back into a private room. The word lust is scratched into the door and the room and surprise, it's Richard. It's Richard from our murderous doctor. I did not even realize that. It's Leland Orser. I saw, I like, it's so funny. I only took like a quick peek at your notes because I usually don't want to look at them. Yeah. But I, I saw your notes and was like, oh, it's Richard. I had no idea. Blue eyed (laughs) bastard. Yeah. So uh, he's he's not playing Richard, obviously. He is screaming, get this thing off of me. Get this thing off of me. Yeah. And we see a sheet go over what we're to understand is a body of the blonde on the bed, mm. but we don't see anything yet. And now Richard, he doesn't actually get a name. In Seven, he's just crazed man in the massage parlor. Um, he was kind of like for the crazed credits. man bone collector. Yeah, he does, he does a good crazed man. Mm-hmm. He can barely speak. He is trying to explain what happened. He's in an, an interrogation room now with Somerset. And he's telling him a man with a gun asked him if he was married and then made him tie down the blonde woman to the bed and put a piece, the piece that the leather maker made. And we see the Polaroid of this piece for the first time. So it's a strap on, but Mm -hmm. instead of a dildo, it is a curved, extremely sharp knife. It's like, I don't even know what to call this knife. It's the scariest knife I've ever seen. The writer of this script, which you'll get, we'll get into with the trivia is like truly insane. I've thought of some of these things there. This is uh, what nightmares are made of. This thing, like I have chills. I'm like crossing my legs thinking this is so fucking scary. Horrible. And for some reason to me, like a curve, the way that this knife is curved is so like, fuck, it's just so scary. No, it's so, it's obviously designed to cause maximum pain. pain. Yeah. Yeah. And in my memory, I did remember that it was like this dildo and I thought that it had spikes on it. And this is like worse. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I made that in my head. I don't know. It's like literally just a curved, awful, horrible, sharp knife. You only see a quick flash of it. So I think I didn't look when I was watching the movie and I didn't want to see it. And so I just like someone told me what it was or I made an assumption. Anyway, it's really horrible. So obviously, you know, by Richard, who's not Richard, telling us what happened, we learned that this man made him... He had a gun in his mouth and made him have sex with her with this on. So yeah, and clearly that's fuck. Yeah. It is so bad. 
It is so, so bad. And while Somerset is talking to Richard, Mills is questioning like a club owner or a bouncer and he is not cracking. He says he noticed nothing. He saw nothing. I don't know if I believe him. You probably do see so much shit. Yeah. But like, he's just like, no, this isn't weird to me. Like, I have no clue. Yeah. I don't know. I see weird shit all the time. Yeah. Hopefully not this specific type of weirdness. But But he was like, they were asking him if he like saw a suitcase or something come in. And he's like, yes, 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 yes. I see that. I don't know. People with suitcases. I'm like, I don't look at what they have inside their suitcase. So it's a very seedy operation and he can tell them nothing. Then later, Mills and Somerset, they're decompressing at a bar. They're talking about how this man isn't the devil. He's just a man. And we get into some character development here. It's not as clunky as scenes like this can be. Like, I didn't find the scene clunky at all. I actually really liked it. Um, But I feel like this is a scene that's done in other movies like this, where it's like a bar decompression scene, like two buddies talking together. Yeah. But it's really beautiful. And it's like so well done and representative of their characters here. Mm -hmm. Not like a beat you over the head type of thing. No, I think all of the scenes between Mills and Somerset, like I I can't think of a single one that isn't very well done and like further um, illustrate their characters. Yeah. Yeah. So Somerset goes into a speech where he explains he doesn't know if he can continue to live in a place that embraces and nurtures apathy as if it was a virtue. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about the city. He says apathy is a solution. It's easier to turn to drugs than to deal with life. It's easier to steal than to earn. It's easier to beat a child than to raise it. And Mills is like, no, we're still talking about evil. We're talking about psychopathy. Like Somerset is is there 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 you can totally see they're like completely different views of this and Somerset's like no you can't afford to be this naive like he's right. trying to teach him mm-hmm. like you gotta you gotta get hardened you have to learn we're just talking about every la- everyday life here like yeah this is not someone that's like the lunatic you think they are yeah it's interesting because he's like Mills is very black and white in the way that he sees things evil yep. and good and, and like someone has to be absolutely out of their fucking mind, mind for some unexplainable, unattainable reason. And Somerset's like, no, there's pieces of human beings yeah. that are awful. Because he's just and seen the worst of it. Yeah. So Mills hits back at him, though, and he's like, I don't think you believe these things. And I do not agree with you because I can't. And I love that line. I can't. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. And I, it's obviously like his work is so important. He's to him so he in it. He's still in to. it. He wants to make a difference. He's so passionate. Whereas Somerset is retiring. He's seen it all. He's worn down. He's disillusioned, like you said. And I think both are like right to a degree. And there's this is just such a beautiful conversation between amazing actors. And I loved this brief reprieve from violence and a glimpse into how their partnership has developed. Yeah, these are my favorite scenes. Me too. These These like quiet moments of, Mm -hmm. yeah, like there's another one that's coming up that I, I love. So Mills goes home. He gets into bed with Tracy. He tells her he loves her so much, so, so much. And she says, I know, which is a baller move. So cute. And it's also like, I know, it's such a funny response. I I love you always. Um, And Somerset's at home and he has his metronome ticking. He picks it up and he chucks it across the room and it breaks apart because he cannot sleep and then it's not helping him. And he gets out a knife. He throws it at the dartboard that he has in his house and he hits the bullseye. And so another movie fact, the crew originally planned to film him throwing the knife and then a separate shot of the knife hitting the bullseye. But he's so, he's like an expert knife thrower somehow. Um, because he just hit the bullseye multiple times, no editing with the shitty prop knife that they had him use. Like he is so cool. How fucking cool is he? Wow. I'm so impressed, especially because I played darts oh, yeah, I saw week on Friday <laughs> and, um, I did not get a bullseye. Actually one time I did, which was crazy, What? Uh, but okay. it was after a lot of throws, but the first few times I was not even close. I was like, there were other patrons in this bar that should have been worried for their safety. <laughs> My very first throw literally got stuck. The dart got stuck in the ground. Um, 
and another one that got stuck in the wall. Oh my god! Uh, really? So yeah, I I'm very impressed with Morgan Freeman being able to throw a right? knife as a prop knife a, too. Like it's, it's not like a, an easy thing to do. It's a flimsy prop knife. So yeah. So now it's Sunday. We get big, you know, the text to tell us that it's Sunday. I always I love this throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, John Doe has called nine one one and he's told the operator, "I've done, I've gone and done it again." He's just like, come and get me, boys. So we're at the crime scene, which is a nice apartment. We see pride is written on the wall, probably in blood. There's this large blown up black and white framed photo of a beautiful woman that appears like it had been hung on the wall above the bed previously. But now obviously pride is written in its place. And Mm -hmm. so it's askew. It's fallen on the bed over the headboard. And there's a body on the bed, of course, that we pan down to. And we learn it's an unnamed model. We actually never get her name. Yeah. And John Doe mutilated her face. He like cut the shit out of her face he cut off her nose despite her face mm-hmm. and he wrapped her her head in bandages and then he glued a phone to one hand so she could call 911 and live but she'd be disfigured and then sl- a bottle of sleeping pills in the other which she could take to kill herself and she made the choice to take the pills pride <sighs> oh my god or um i don't know i know that that's the the deadly sin but it's also vanity which is interesting Mm -hmm. um this is so terrifying of course you may it makes you wonder i would hope i wouldn't do that Um, i know (laughs) i guess i don't know i know like i just imagine being like i mean it's torture like having it has to hurt so yeah i imagine it's it's so painful it was cut up okay um all right so now we're walking into the the precinct and somerset is telling mills he actually wants to stay on the case and mills would be doing him a favor if he'd let him stay for a few more days and somerset's like appealing to his hero complex Mm -hmm. like He's like, let me stay on. Come on. Like, yeah. yeah. And so we see a taxi pull up then um, just as they're walking in and someone gets out and follows Mills and Somerset into the police station. And Mills is stopping at the desk. Uh, the desk tells him that his wife's been calling and get yourself a fucking answering machine because they don't want to take his messages. <laughs> this man that's followed them in. Yeah. What about him? He yells detectives <gasps> and they keep walking. They're in conversation. They're either ignoring him or they didn't hear him. And then he yells again, detectives. Like loud, it echoes. Yep. And now all eyes are on him. It's John Doe. It's a young and very thin Kevin Spacey, and he is covered in blood. It's Kevin Spacey. It's fucking Kevin Spacey. Oh my God. Of course it's Kevin Spacey. We'll get into Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Just like the, (laughs) we're not going to totally get into Kevin Spacey. We're not going to fully get into We're going to get into the Kevin Spacey of this movie. Um, But yeah. So, yes, he's perfect as John Doe. He's so thin. So thin. No hair. Or like, like buzzed yeah, head. yeah, buzz, buzzed head, like buzz cut. And he's wearing a white button down shirt, short sleeve shirt, and it's absolutely soaked in blood. Mills immediately pulls his gun on John Doe and he tells him, get on the ground, get on the fucking ground. Doe is, <laughs> is insanely calm. He, so calm. He's like, he's I like, I'm matching for me. Somerset vibes. Yeah. I know you. And in contrast to everyone else in the station who now has guns drawn, absolutely losing their minds, screaming at him to get on the ground. Like what the fuck is going on? This is unprecedented. Like yeah. what? Yeah. John Doe is completely just he's like a monk completely calm yeah they cuff him and he just looks up and says I want to speak to my lawyer please <laughs> I was it's so confusing it, as what a, is going as on viewer, you're like, you were what? like that's not what you're supposed to do like why, why are you turning yourself why would you do that you haven't done everything you, yet you still have what's two going murders on? what the like, fuck's going on you're covered in blood who did you get what yeah so you know they're processing him they print him but there's no fingerprints it's just blood it's like just blood smudged all over the so page so strange yeah it turns out he cuts off the tip of his fingers he sure does so that's why there's no fingerprints that's a strategy yep uh it's 
hit something and his bank account has only been started like about five years ago. He has no credit or employment history. He doesn't really exist and he's choosing to be John Doe by nature, clearly. So just no identity. No, no real identity. He's just taken on this very like, you know, so creepy. Ghosty. Yeah. Mills and Somerset obviously want to speak to him. They're like, let us at him. (laughs) They're told, nope, he's got to go to court, which is, I don't really totally understand, but okay. I don't get it either. Like they're, they're doing an immediate arraignment, I think. Um, and they're trying to make sense of this. Like they know he's not done. It makes no sense. He's turned himself in with the two sins left. And then we get a shot of, um, we don't get to hear anything, but John Doe is talking to his lawyer and the lawyer then comes out to speak to the police and the DA. And he tells them, all right, there are two bodies hidden away. And Doe will lead Mills and Somerset and only Mills and Somerset to the bodies. And if they do that, he will sign a full confession and plead guilty right now. If not, he'll plead insanity across the board. Which I was very annoyed about, but also... They explain it right away. (laughs) I'm just like, I guess I just don't... I don't buy that people would be able to, that this guy would be able to plead insanity. These were calculated. They say this. So they they throw it to Mills and they're like, since it's your case, what do you say? And he's like, fuck yeah, full confession. I'm in. And the lawyer says, well, no, it has to be both of you, Somerset. And Somerset says what we were just thinking, which Mm -hmm. is like, well, if he's going to try to plead insanity, this conversation is admissible. This is very much demonstrating he's of sound mind. He's trying to make this deal. But the lawyer says, let me remind you, there are two additional bodies. And the press would have a field day if they found out the police weren't concerned about finding them. So basically, he's threatening, I'm going to leak yeah, this to the press right. if you guys say that you won't. It, it, it's like, it's kind of hair thin. Like, it really probably wouldn't hold up. Like, I don't necessarily, you're right. Like, it's definitely risky and probably not, it's not realistic. But also, they're like, okay, like, we need the, the final two bodies. You have a point. Yeah, it's an like, interesting predicament. Because I guess I don't know enough about, like, what the rules are there. But it also seems like... Are you also, are you allowed, is it admissible to allow a killer out to I know. show you where bodies no, are? No, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. In my books that I read, sure, but they're not. But yeah, the most no, legitimate. I mean, that, I guess it makes some, but you're right. There is, I do. He, they tried to have the, the Somerset have the line where he's like saying what we're yes, all thinking of exactly. like, what this lawyer is having. Yeah. Not just this particular scene, but like he kept a guy alive for a year. Right. Like you're not insane that entire, I mean, you're insane all no, the time. No, he's clearly not insane, but I think pleading insanity is really frustrating because then it's, I yeah. I don't know exactly what the logistics are of how that plays out in court, but it's not quite like the you don't get the guilty verdict. That yeah, you want. and they want that full. Yeah, the justice yeah. or what this? <laughs> it's not going to be justice, but yeah, yeah. So the lab report is already back, and they have the results of the blood from the the clothes that were on him that were soaked in blood. It's his. It's the models, and it's an unidentified person. So then they agree, like fuck, like yep. okay, he's not lying. We have to. We've got to get ready. We have this scene of them showering and getting ready. This is my favorite scene. I love this. Yes, it's awesome. They're shaving their chest, and for a minute, I didn't get it, but it's because they're going to have wires taped to them. Yeah. They're going to be, like, all wired up so that the, you know, tape doesn't stick to their chest hairs. Um, but they're having this, like, really sweet bonding moment, and Mills says... I know, they're both just, like... Yeah, they're, like, na- bare-chested in yeah. the in the uh, precinct bathroom, Vulnerable. which is, like, a beautiful bathroom, and mm-hmm. shaving their chest, and Brad Pitt makes some, like, joke, like, if I nick my nipple, will I get, like, workers' comp or something? Like, it's super silly. Um, and they're kind of making light of like what the fuck they're about to go and do. Yep. Um, they actually have like a really nice, lovely rapport yeah. by now where they like understand each other and understand their differences. And this is a nice, like they're doing tender it. This is moment. the last thing like they wanted to finish this out. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Somerset didn't at the start, but he asked Mills to let him stay on. And now they're doing yeah. this as partners. So they get fully suited up. We see them like, you know, load up their, 
their guns and their the choppers getting ready to follow them. So they won't actually be alone. They'll be driving Somerset alone. So Mills is in the passenger passenger seat, Doe's in the back, Somerset's driving, but then they've got a chopper that's like following them. Yeah. With Perry, so Perry at least, Cox, yeah, at least they have that. I guess. I don't know. I love the, actually, I love the commentary of the chopper throughout this. So yes, it's great. They peel out helicopter follows them overhead. And that's kind of, this is the scene that we're going into. So it's the, the car and the chopper. Um, they're driving and they start to make conversation. Like this is kind of a long drive. Doe is directing them. And Somerset asks, John, who are you? At this stage, what harm can it do for you to tell us a little bit about yourself? Mm-hmm. And John says, it doesn't matter. This isn't about who I am. And so we're like, is that all we're going to get? But <laughs> Mills starts antagonizing him. Yes. And Doe says, getting someone to listen to you, you can't just tap them on the shoulder anymore. You have to hit them with a sledgehammer and <laughs> then they'll pay attention to you. Mills Which is, is a great line. It is. Mills is just like fully like just, you know, he's like, mm, you piece of shit. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's, he's doing the into full bully mode. Bully mode. I was like, going to say evil, bully. I'm good and I'm going to make you feel horrible. Yeah. He says, what makes you so special? And Doe was like, nothing, but this act is special. And I can't wait for you to see. It's really going to be quite something. Don't oh, worry. You're not going to miss a thing. It's so great. He's Kevin so just so like great. eloquent and and so calm. calm. Just yeah. he, he does get riled. There's he gets a riled in this bit. next yeah. scene. Mm-hmm. He has little to no affect though for most of it. He's just yeah. a blank stare. Again, he's he's very thin and he's like got this close cropped haircut. There's just he's so nondescript. Yeah, and he's also excited about the what he's taking them to do. Obviously, he, he got them to do exactly what he wanted, and we just don't know yet. Like, what is the result of yeah, that? Yeah, when he's saying, "I'm, I'm really, I really can't wait for you to see it." Like, it's genuine. It's very ugh. ugh. So Mills is still totally antagonizing him, and he's like, "You're insane. Do you know you're insane? Like, does an insane person? Because he wants to know. Like, yeah. do you actually know you're insane?" And Doe answers, "It's more comfortable for you to label me insane, but I was chosen." And Somerset says, "If you were chosen." Then your hand was forced, and it seems strange to me that you get so much enjoyment out of it. Yeah, he's like reasoning with yeah, him a bit like, in a way that Mills is, is not, not yeah, yeah, at all. And Doe responds, I doubt it brought me as much as enjoy like the enjoyment that I'm getting is equal to if Mills could be alone with me mm-hmm. in a room without windows, without with impunity. He could hurt me without consequences. Yeah, the only reason you're not hurting me right now is because, because there's no consequence exactly. or there would be consequences. Which was, I think this exchange is great. It is. In terms of like Again, morality, it's one of those things is like, ethics. this could be so cheesy and this could be so like, again, clunky was the word that we use for bone collector and others. But this is it's smooth just perfect. and like permeating. Like it just sits it's, with you. You've got this like, I'm so creeped out. I'm getting chills already. Oh God. Uh, again, this watching scene. this last night, I was like, I'm not going to be able to sleep. And I couldn't. Um, oh boy. So he does... Mills is able to finally get Doe as riled as he gets. And he gets into this rant that lets us in on the disgust and the beliefs that he had about the people that he murdered. He says, they're not innocent. They committed deadly sins. And we see those sins on every street corner, every home. We tolerate it because it's common. It's trivial, but not anymore. I'm setting an example that will be puzzled over and studied and followed forever. Oh, okay. He thinks he's like a Dexter. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, my God. So Mills is not taking him seriously, though. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. He's like, I don't. My brain doesn't do that. (laughs) Mm hmm. And I was like, you should really be thanking me after this. You'll be remembered forever to Mills. And Mills is still just like, you're the fucking weirdo. (laughs) Like, I'm not rising to this. He has no idea what he's talking about. Doe gets as close as he can to Mills through the divider. So again, he's like riled him up as, as much as he gets riled. And they have this a, additional very tense back and forth where Doe tells Mills like, you're alive because I let you live. I'm here because I, I wanted you to be like, I wanted to be here. 
And so are you, because I wanted you to be here. He's showing him his power that like, he really does have complete control over the situation, even though he's chained and shackled. Yeah. <sighs> okay. It's, it's just, um, it's like emotional, mental. Yeah. And it's again, <laughs> like this could just be like, it's, it's heightening the tense, like anxiety of the scene. And you're really like, what the fuck? Like, what is his plan? Because where are we going? And we're getting glimpses. And then we finally zone, like we zoom out. And at this point we get this wider shot. So we see Doe has directed us to this kind of nowhere. It's like a desert. And this was where I was like, no, this can't be New York city. So then I thought, Oh, this is such a good, like amalgamation of like New York and LA because that feels very outskirts of LA. LA, Yeah. It's definitely like Palmdale or something. I don't know. For sure. But there's like telephone poles and wires and towers and one broken down trailer, but otherwise it's like deserted. There's nothing. The detectives get out. They're looking around. They're like, all right, the bodies have to be here, right? And all they see is a dead dog. So we didn't get out of this movie without a dead dog. Oh, and it's it's actually kind of a funny moment. Because yes, Kevin's face, is. he goes, I didn't do that. Yeah, one. he's like, oh, I didn't do that. <laughs> like, no, wait, that's not the plan. But yeah, why did we It's have funny. To to I know, dog? even though, but like some lightness for yeah. the dead dog. It is, it, again, Levity. I feel like it's like, David Fincher poking fun at like yes. the dead dog thing too. Yes. Like he didn't David Fincher dog. just really, he was like, I'm going to fucking outdo mm-hmm. any nineties thriller. And I think we did. have sirens going on in the background oh, we right do. now, Very which is like perfect yeah, for this. Yeah. There's always sirens. I know. Here. Yeah. We can't Non-script avoid it. City. Mm-hmm. So Doe asks uh, Somerset what, or just ask them what time it is. And Somerset says it's seven Oh one. And Doe says, Oh, it's close. Oh, close to what? <laughs> so they start to walk. Doe is leading them. He's in a jumpsuit. And again, he's cuffed and shackled at the ankles. So he's kind of like shuffling, but he's, he's leading them. And in the distance, they start to see this van speeding down the road. This van is fucking speeding. It so is like fast. picking up dust. It's, and it's so menacing. It's like, so fuck, fuck, like fuck, 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 fuck. So yeah, yeah, the music heightens. Mills is, Mills is like, okay, I'm going to stay with Doe. Somerset runs to the car as fast as he can. He meets to race the van. The van is like, it is going I was like, is he fast. Hit him? I know. So <laughs> Somerset gets out his gun. He aims. He fires a warning shot into the air and he tells the driver, get the fuck out of the van. The driver's terrified. He's like, oh my God, I'm just here to deliver a package. A yeah. guy, uh, it's, it's to a guy, David, David, Detective David Mills. That's who I'm delivering it to. And Somerset instructs the driver to get the package. It's just a cardboard box with a fra- fragile handle with care sticker. And the driver says he was paid $500 to drive it out here. Like, that's it. We know the driver's not involved. So, in the air, the cops in the chopper are yelling, we got a box. Call the bomb squad. We got a box. Yeah. And it's again like, what the fuck is in the, what's in the box? Which I do. Shouldn't they not open the box? No, they shouldn't open okay. the box. So Somerset sends the driver off on foot and the driver's like, girl, bye. Runs off. Like yep. he's like, okay, he's bye. Like, Peace. Running as fast out. as he can. Somerset's fighting with himself here. He's like, he literally says out loud, like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and then he says, yeah. okay, I'm going to open it. He kind of says this to no one. He's I mean, like he is mic'd up, but yeah. like so the, the chopper can hear it so yeah. I guess he's warning them and he gets out his knife that he was throwing at the dartboard and he cuts the tape open super slowly he's obviously being like really careful with it and as soon as he lifts up the top flaps he sees that there's blood on those those like flaps yeah. that are covering it still he opens the box he makes this involuntary noise it's like a shock he's like oh like it's like not a big noise but he's he's shocked and he tells the chopper stay back stay back doe has the upper hand and he's running back to Mills, telling him to throw his gun down. Throw the your tension. gun down. Throw your gun the down. Tension. I'm literally getting chills. Me too. And the chopper's like, what the fuck is going on? Mills is like, what? what? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And Somerset is like running back. Throw the gun down. Throw your gun down. Mills is like, I can't hear you. Oh, Somerset is, is 
like trying as, as hard as he, he's, he ran far to get yeah, to that. So he has a long man. way to he's run. He's an older gentleman. <laughs> so now Mills is paying attention and Doe starts to talk. He says, I'm jealous of you, of your life with your pretty wife, Tracy. And Mills is obviously (laughs) agitated immediately. He does not want this monster to even know he has a wife, let alone know her name or talk about her. But Doe continues on. He says, it's disturbing how a member of the press can pay to learn information about an officer of the law. I visited your home this morning. I met your lovely wife. I tried to play husband. I tried to live like you for a while. No, 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 no. Taste the life of a simple man. It didn't work out. So I took a souvenir. No. Her pretty head. Somerset has reached Mills and Doe by this point, and I am fucking losing my mind. I literally have I, Me too. I have goosebumps. This moves really fast, but Doe is still speaking. He says, I wanted your life. Envy is my sin. And Mills is looking between Doe and Somerset, and he's like trying to make sense. He's like, what, what was in the box? What's in the box? And Doe, Somerset's still like, put the gun down, put the gun down. Like he's like out of breath, exasperated. What's in the fucking box? Yeah. Mills is losing oh my, oh, my God. I mean, we've seen him react to things that are not even personal to his 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 partner in his life mm-hmm. and with such like insane passion just now this is this <sighs> is uh, yeah so doe says i just hold you and mills is spinning mills he's in disbelief he's asking doe you tell me you tell me she's all right is she all right she's all right she's all oh right God, tell me so she's depressing. all right and there's so much emotion in his yeah. voice like he doesn't want to he's not accepting it he's in complete denial And Doe is still calm. He says, do it, David. Become vengeance. Become wrath. Mills is absolutely tortured. He is walking around this field in circles. He's, you know, trying to, like, talk himself. He looks like a dog that can't decide between, like, two. Yeah. The chopper guys are like, what the fuck is going on down there? And Somerset is trying to cut in and get through to Mills. He's telling him, no, no, no. He wants you to shoot him. This is his plan. This is what he wants you to do. If you shoot a suspect, you lose everything. And he knows it. He's, again, trying to talk sense into him. Mills is not hearing him. He is not even hearing him. No. Doe says she begged for her life and she begged for the life of the baby inside her. Oh, punch in the Somerset smacks him across the face. Like he's trying to stop him, but it's too late. The most we've ever seen Somerset do. Doe looks at Mills and says, oh, he didn't know. And he's so satisfied that he didn't know. Like this is even sweeter to him. Holy shit, this part. Okay, this part. So Mills is alternatively sobbing and pointing the gun directly at Doe. Like he's like doing that. I can't, uh, we're on a podcast. He's like, he's has this tortured face. He's looking away. He looks like he's going to puke. He's just Brad Pitt. It's so good. I'm like, I was literally crying while I'm watching this last night. I don't, I feel the agony. He is, Cause he's pointing it. He's doing the like gun to the, you know, like side. Like he's just, cause he's only has one arm too. And he's, he's, it's I his mean, whole body. I, he's, it's his expression. His face his is face just crumpled. Contorted. He cr- his face crumples when he turns, and then when he turns back to Doe, he's trying to like keep it together so his eyes brighten, and he's like, mm-hmm. you know, trying to like clear his mind. Like, what am I going to? Do? I'm, and he's like, oh no, like no again, just so much emotion as he's learning this. He is fully tortured, and then we see this quick flash of Tracy. Like it's just a a second of her in his mind. And he makes his decision. He shoots Doe. And he shoots and shoots and shoots. He empties his clip. And Somerset is standing there, sort of like turned away. But he's right there. And the guys in the chopper react. And they're like, oh, fuck, he shot him. Oh, Christ. Somebody call somebody. That's one of my favorite lines, too. Because it's like, who the somebody. fuck do you call? Somebody call somebody. I oh, That line. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad that you retold the ending. Because I'm, like, moved even just hearing no, about it No, no. Oh, my God. And from above, we see, from the chopper's perspective, we see Mills and Somerset, and they walk off in different directions. Yep. 
And then we cut to one of the final scenes. It's the final scene. And Mills is in the back of a cruiser. He's just despondent. He's like, you know, he's not crying. He's just staring. He's not looking at anything in particular. He's just. Yeah. Despondent's a great word. He's being driven away. And what are we calling him? The chief? The The captain. The captain. Yeah. (laughs) He says, we'll take care of him. And Somerset says, whatever he needs. The captain asks him, where will you be? And Somerset responds, around. I'll be around. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, and then we end with yet. Somerset telling us a Hemingway quote. The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. And then it ends. And then it's the credits, which are, again, great credits. And Kevin Spacey's first in these credits because he wasn't in the beginning credits. Yes. We had we did not know that he was going to be in it. Oh, my God. So that's seven. It's truly one of the best thrillers. It's absolutely the best thriller we've covered thus far. Yeah. Seven for our seventh episode. This one was special. This was such a... I, I watched this movie when I was too young. And then again and again and again, I feel like I just got, like, desensitized to it. And so watching it this time where I was really looking for detail... Or I don't know, maybe it's just after, like, I feel like we're so, like, emotionally raw after the past two years and, like, these yeah, past couple it's, weeks. it's definitely I don't different know. Experience. Like, I was just so unsettled when I tried to go to bed last night because it's, yeah, like, thinking of the, it's, it's a really disturbing movie. It's so well done, and that's what makes it extra disturbing. There's just nothing to critique, really, about it, and so you're... You're like, I mean, anything that I would critique is more just grasping at straws and trying to like understand what David Fincher was thinking to make certain decisions. Yeah. And it's never really anything of substance that's like, oh, a flaw in the movie. And what did you think of this movie? Because you hadn't seen it in a while, right? Yeah, I hadn't seen it since college. And like even in college, I for whatever reason, I must have only been half paying attention. Um, I remembered the two most memorable scenes at least in my mind which were the spaghetti scene and then mm-hmm. this this scene what's in the box at the end um i it's just so interesting to hear you talk about it because you've watched it year after year and you first watched it when you were 13 so you just had like the exact opposite experience of me um watching it but i think it's such a I am actually usually not as big of a fan of like serial killer thrillers Mm -hmm. as I am of the more sort of like calculated domestic, yeah, like psychological thrillers, as we know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wasn't that into The Bone Collector. And, you know, with Seven, I obviously had watched it and had remembered at the time that it was a good movie, but I didn't have any connection to it or for whatever reason wasn't as moved by it. I was like really, really like shaken up by it this time. (sighs) Yeah. And... I was able to like recognize what was so good about it in a way that I definitely didn't appreciate in college. Right. Um, not only like the cinematography and just like the lighting and the music, but also like, I think my favorite thing is it really captures the relationship of the, like the two men and it has, sometimes it's so cheesy when you try to kind of develop two male characters throughout the course of like a cop thriller he they like nailed it the great acting the great script and the directing is just like it makes you almost feel like by the end of the movie you became smarter Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I don't know how else to say it it is a really smart movie like you do have to be paying attention and so Mm -hmm. I think like maybe the first time that you watched it if you're not paying close attention like 
it's still an okay movie. You can still watch it and like kind of appreciate it and get, and get like but you a have big to takeaway. Pay close attention to really appreciate it. There's so it. many smart references. Like we didn't even like the Glimmer Twins thing was funny. That's yeah. like um, what is it? It's Mick Jagger and I can't think of who else that like one. It's, it's just like there's I don't these funny. Know who it's referencing like really funny references and like yeah, really so well like done. The, the Jodie Foster thing, the Jodie Foster yeah. thing, the Son of Sam. Like it's it's a very tight. It's so tight. There's no mistakes in the script. Everything's very intentional and. If you're not paying attention, again, it can just kind of be like a another a movie to watch. But yeah. when you are and you're like, they're talking about Dante and they like reference Mein Kampf, like the Hitler autobiography, like everything is just very like heavy and detailed. And yeah, and they good. talk, they show a lot of contrast between potentially being someone who's focused on religion as their guiding principles mm-hmm. versus someone who might be focused on like their own version of morality and like someone who's really optimistic and optimistic in a sense but like torn between sort of this very rigid view of what's yeah. evil and what's good he's very idealistic yeah and then a you know someone who's the exact opposite and that you know he's like really looking for he's he's looking to learn more and understand people but also sees everyone's sort of flaws and what makes them human and and he doesn't just kind of categorize things into psychopaths and good people and I really love that. I think it's, I think sometimes our, now our society does that so much. With yeah. Social media, it's like bad and good and sort of just like two sides, two opposing sides, Republican and Democrat. But I think that I almost like thought that Somerset's version of that in this film, and it could be timeless for anything. I just thought, thought it was like really interesting. And I lo- I liked it playing against Brad Pitt's character. I felt like they I totally were both agree. perfect. Yeah. And, um, yeah, David fin- Fincher is an expert with tension. Building yes. tension is like his thing and he yes. does it so, so well. That's just Gone like Girl. his. Gone Girl yeah. is one of my favorite. That's Gone one of my Girl. comfort movies, which is a weird comfort movie, but I watch it all the time. Yeah. I'm so fucking I'm happy, happy now that I'm dead. dead. Yeah. All right. Well, can you take us through some fun movie facts? I know we touched on like a bunch of them, but I think we still have some. Yeah, we still have a couple. So there's actually only one death that we see on screen. It's it's not a movie where we actually see violence occur. It's just we're seeing the after effects. And it's so interesting because that makes it almost scarier. It does. Like we don't see the murders happening and you don't really realize that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Until you reflect on it. Because you're like, oh, my God, it was so graphic. It was so gory. But not really. But not like really it was the because, well, it was. But I mean, the it after was, effects. but it was yeah. Later on, after they'd already been dead, um, it had a you know I love to give a good Rotten Tomatoes score. It had eighty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is interesting. It's not bad. It's not bad. I think I'm surprised it's not better. Me too. Um, just knowing that you know it, it, sometimes it's like compa- comparing apples to oranges. Like yeah. it's like Yelp reviews where you're like, okay, well you could rate an Applebee's in Times Square <laughs> as five stars because for Applebee's maybe it's a really good one. Can't imagine that it is. <laughs> but you could rate like an amazing Michelin star restaurant as a three star because like you didn't like the atmosphere or whatever. And I feel like this is like mm-hmm. another example of, you know, there could be like a really stupid movie that gets rated 95%. So anyway, 82% better than most of the movies that we've watched on our <laughs> yeah, list. Majority. Um, it won a bunch of MTV movie awards, which I was like, it's better than that. Yeah, like it didn't on. actually win anything like legit, Interesting. but it won most desirable male. Okay. Brad Pitt. What a fucking category. Best villain, Kevin Spacey. 
and best movie for MTV. Uh, so <laughs> okay. yay. What a notch. Some, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, acknowledgements. Uh, so the role of David Mills was initially offered to Denzel Washington um, before being taken on by Brad Pitt. And I really think Brad Pitt was the right like yeah, fit I for this role. I'm trying I to picture, picture Denzel. That. I feel like I don't He's, know how old he was at that time. I guess probably around the same age. But I think the juxtaposition between Morgan Freeman's age and Brad Pitt's age was yeah. like really, but maybe they would have that with Denzel too. I just can't yeah. picture it. I guess Denzel would have been a few years younger than what he was in Bone Collector. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was playing kind of like an older man there. So maybe yeah. So yeah, it's kind of just, he doesn't feel like ju- amateur enough. Or yeah. Junior and enough. again, Brad Pitt felt so like that, like meathead. Yeah. Not, just like, yeah. Dummy, but he's a dummy. Yeah. Yeah. But then he wasn't, well. he, he ended up being smart. Yeah. He was okay, smart. But yes, yeah, so I, I can't see that. So, uh, Christina Applegate turned down the role of Tracy Mills. I really think Gwyneth Paltrow was just kind of perfect for this I think this she was good. I feel like role. I could see Christina Applegate with her, like, big eyes and stuff. But Gwyneth was obviously the ideal. I mean, I honestly, if we're being honest, probably anyone could have been yeah, in that role. Yeah, I know, because she really just Because didn't. she didn't have that much personality. Yeah. Um, other than just being a lovely person. Mm-hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow is kind of the most basic version of what you could get with that. So <laughs> I think in that way it works out. Yeah, she's the platonic ideal of like... Christina uh, Applegate almost has too much personality. Right. But like, yeah, it could have been anyone. And then, uh, let's see. So then Al Pacino was considered for the role of Somerset. That would have been a completely different Totally movie. different. And then um, R.E.M.'s Michael... Dipe, which I was not really a big REM fan, but he was considered for the role of John Doe, and obviously Kevin Spacey n- needed to be this role. Yes. So, last but not least, this, or maybe not, okay, not last <laughs> but not least. We have a few more, but don't worry, they're good ones. So, the screenwriter, I love this fact. I think we both love this fact. Mm-hmm. So the screenwriter, his name is Andrew Kevin Walker. He was inspired by the brutal conditions of New York City where he lived. He says in the commentary that he could walk down the street and observe one of the seven deadly sins without even trying. He sent his script to a writer friend, and that writer friend forwarded it to his agent who found a buyer um, in New, Li- New Line Cinema. And after reading the script, his uh, writer friend reportedly told Walker that he needed professional help. I which, would, yeah. Okay, don't a, disagree. That's a reasonable reaction to reading that script, I'm Some sure. of these, like, decisions and just thoughts, you know, the the dildo knife thing, like, it's just oh all so insane, <laughs> yeah. so... Yeah, very interesting that this kind of came from like a dude that was walking down the streets of New York and came up with this. So initial script revisions replaced the now, this was crazy to learn, the now infamous head in the box ending with what David Fincher feared the most, which was (laughs) a happy ending that had Mills running home to save his wife from John Doe. It was the studio-approved ending, and Fincher insisted on dropping it. And there were apparently seven alternate endings. I'm always so shocked by how many endings are filmed for these movies. So I guess they didn't film them. They were, like, storyboarding them. Okay. And I think this was, like, the... I think the, the ending they went with was, like, maybe they filmed more, but there were seven alternate endings that were, like, discussed and potential. And it sounds like New Line Cinema was so desperate to change the ending because it was just so harsh and they wanted a Hollywood movie ending. And David Fincher was like, no, this isn't that movie, Um, which I'm so glad he stood his ground as much as that's a horrible scene. It's like this movie wouldn't be what it was without what's in the box and without the tension at the end between, you know, learning that this is how the murders were going to unfold. Like, it's just. Yeah, we almost got um, Mills dogs 
heads or dog head one of them in the box instead which would have been interesting but not as effective my god and so the we would have had another dog. dead dog. Yeah. I'm so glad that David Fincher was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm just maybe that have a dead dog, dog right? Dead. Was that the was compromise. Like the little, yeah, <laughs> alluding to that. Um, I was also very surprised to see that Kevin Spacey was cast two days before filming started. And after signing on, he demanded not to be billed or featured in any advertising. Oh my God. Because he was coming off the usual suspects and outbreak and figured if his name was featured alongside the two stars, it would be so obvious that he was the killer. Oh my God. I love this. Can Which you imagine so... being a moviegoer yeah. and watching this and in then theaters like, and not knowing oh. fucking Kevin Spacey shows up? Can you imagine the gasps? No. Oh my God. The usual suspects. Have you seen that? Actually, it's another one of those ones I watched in college and probably didn't pay okay. enough attention so to. He has a limp like in the, or, okay. well, it's like this, the, the limp. Oh, he has a thing. limp in this too. Right. I know. So I was like, huh, that's like. Yeah, and it's interesting that he won, like, the MTV Best Villain. Like, everyone just thinks of Kevin Spacey as being he a villain. Is. And in real life, he has some uh, questionable villainous moments. Tendencies. Yes. So we never actually see Tracy's severed head. Audiences insisted that they did. There's, like, this Mon- Mandela effect, which we talked about for so yeah. many different things before. Um, so people see the movie, and they walk away remembering seeing her head in the box. And it's interesting because... We do see her face. We see her face really quick. But we see it imagined in this like beautiful ethereal way that Brad Pitt's character imagines it as. So I guess I think people just like they just are inserting. I thought I saw it actually. I'm one of those people. Really? For the first time. I mean, when I saw it when I was young and then I didn't see it again for years, probably in my recollection, I saw her head in the box like I yeah I can picture it I can see her head in the box so That's I'm so one of those people I always think these that. like Mandela effect things I know are so interesting and yeah. I think that I couldn't remember whether I saw I was like asking myself like mm-hmm. okay did, do you see her do head? I see yeah. it do I see it and then I didn't this is a good one I'm just stealing your facts basically production made a fake severed head for Gwyneth but wound up not using it it sat in storage for years and was later used for her character's autopsy scene in Contagion which how weird. I, I'm i sure we all watched Contagion yeah, I watched at the beginning, beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I was so So disturbed. I can kind of remember that. Oh, mm-hmm. that's, so, that's so weird. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And then fun dating fact, fun kind of celebrity dating fact. So Gwyneth and Brad met on the set of Seven and started dating during filming. And they were together for three years. And they were even engaged before they split. And they had the same hairstyle, <laughs> which is so funny. They had this hairstylist. Chris McMillan, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. And I think he cut, cut Gwyneth's hair first. And then Brad came home with the same haircut and they thought it was funny, but like yeah. Hollywood freaked out over it. And we're like, Brad always gets the same haircuts as his girlfriends. Like, yeah, which he kind of does. He's a shapeshifter for his girlfriends. Did he date Jennifer Aniston after Gwyneth? Or yeah. Because they almost had the same. I know he was in like also an episode of friends with her where they could have been like twins, just boy. And yeah. <laughs> That's he must, so wait. He must have dated her after, right? Yes. Yeah. It had to be because this was like more like mid nineties, nineteen ninety five. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, and she, Gwyneth also dressed as her own character, Tracy, for Halloween one year. Uh, head in a box. Yeah. She just had like a, a cardboard box around her head, you know, with like the yeah. fragile handle. That's, with that's pretty good. It's maybe really that's funny. Why people remember her head in a box. Yeah. Pictures of her, her Halloween, Halloween outfit. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, this is this was a fun one and. The, I'm sh- I'm sure the trivia is endless, but these were definitely oh my God, the, there's so many the high points. 
So ah, what a, a brilliant movie. And I'm so glad that we did it for the podcast so that I could like actually fully appreciate this movie. Me too. Or what it was. Same. I'm actually really glad I got to watch it again with this like critical eye towards detail and yeah. just like really thinking through all of the decisions made. And there were very few tropes of like 90s. I know. Sort of, this was really a very unique film. And, and that's why so many tried to do it after and could not. Yeah. And fell short. So yeah. Well, we're going to go eat our yes, chicken, chicken wings. wings, onion rings, French fries, and then just to make it healthy, carrots and celery sticks. Dipped in and ranch. we'll try not to think of severed heads. Oh my God. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>